It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down Welcome back, folks. It's a very special edition of American Loser. It's the podcast that puts a spotlight firmly on second place. We're live at a shared universe podcast studio for my last time for a little while. I have to go down to Jacksonville. It's not rehab, I swear. Okay, but if you move to the state of Florida, you can get the in-state rate for the rehab when you inevitably have to go. So we're just, you know, we're kind of just staying ahead of the curve here if we can. Uh, Ming Chen, the boss himself behind the ones and twos. Thank you for joining us here today, sir. I appreciate you. Uh, it's a huge honor, of course. I hear you. And the Kahuna's not here today because we didn't invite him. Okay? That's what it is, Christian. All right? Get my fucking files to me on time. <laughs> I'm teasing, man. I'm excited. My father is not here. Um, he decided it would be more fun to take my sister to the emergency room. She fell on her kneecap today at the Home Depot. And we'll be suing them probably. So that's good, right? Oh, yeah. Carrie's about to have some money. That's exciting, man. But So we still have to do an episode here. We want to do one last really good one before we leave. And uh, I want to bring on uh, two returning guests, okay? Uh, two of my favorite guys from the Jersey Shore comedy scene. Uh, a lot of the fans have already gotten to know good old Andy Highroller here. Welcome back to the show, brother. Hey, how are you? He's, uh, for those who don't remember, he is uh, uh, Edward Bernays episode. All right. Also, Carl Panzram. And uh, I mean, just sexy Bin Laden, guys. He is what he is. Yeah. All right. I'm trying to figure out where I want my plaque to go on the wall. <laughs> I'm looking for the right space. And uh, also from our uh, fantastic episode, one of our, our borderline uh, intellectual episodes, too, man. Jack Steiger returning from the land down under. How are you, pal? I'm great. Thank mate. you for being here, man. <laughs> <laughs> now, you're fleeing the country soon, too, right? Uh, that was a secret that I told you, but. Uh, fair <laughs> yeah. Hey, dude, sealed affidavits only stay sealed for so long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm happy you guys are both here. You two guys, two of my good buddies from the Jersey Shore scene, got to hang out, do open mics together. Angelo Gingerelli was going to be here, but he wanted to maintain hosting open mics. Yeah. He's <laughs> <laughs> Good old Angelo Gingerelli, man. Um, so this is a deep, deep topic that we picked here for this one today, and I'm very excited about it. So it's going to be a looser one. So for the regular listeners of the show, this is not going to be like a, it's still going to be informative, but we're going to go more so conversation based because I know Andy knows a bunch of shit about this guy. And Jack, of course, you have this ridiculous borderline uh, mentally ill knowledge on this guy, right? No. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I know about magic. That's going to come into it. So I know that a lot of the fans are already interested here. But um, Jack Parsons, it's interesting. This the re My research for this uh, episode kind of took me to a lot of interesting places that I, I never really uh, looked at in magical history. When know? he's saying magic too, folks, it's uh, it's actual uh, magic with a K, not the uh, gathering card game. Uh -huh. So I'll make that little distinction right there, too. And he did give away the name of the episode, the name of the topic of the episode, if you will. But we're going to start off a little bit backwards. Here. We're going to try to do a little academic work if we can and then also kind of get into this. I want you guys to both jump in whenever you have some cool tidbits or something, man, because this guy was he's one of those guys where you, uh, you're reading about him. And you go, uh, someone's fucking with us on Wikipedia, man. There's no way that this guy was. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a real story. Yeah, there's no way this dude was jerking off onto stuff to try to bring new beings into life. Right. 
Was he? No. No. Could I read been. about it and then try it the other night? No to that also. I had a terrible idea the other day of uh, I want to do a reboot of Fantasia 2000, but it's just Mickey chasing one of his cum socks around the house <laughs> after it came to life. <laughs> Yeah. It's going to be that kind of show, folks, okay? So if you're listening in the car with your kids, Sunquist family, thank you so much for sending your album, by the way. We really appreciate that. They sent a copy for me and the Kahuna. I'll get that to him shortly. And I want to say thank you to everybody who was uh, supporting the show. If you gave me an address over on Patreon, we sent you the information out. We sent you some merch. All right, I gave Andy and Jack some stickers, too. Ming's got them. So in the men's bathroom all over the Jersey Shore bar scene this summer, you'll be able to see American Loser merch. So I'm excited about that one. And if you like the show, uh, feel free to jump on the Patreon, guys. We're still going to keep the episodes coming out in the regular here. It's my last time in the studio in person. So I'm excited about that. Uh, and we're going to be, you know, I was working with Ming earlier. We're still going to have stuff coming down the road here. I'll be recording solo episodes. Me and my fellow jump on StreamYard. Uh, High Roller's got some weird stuff we're going to have to tinker around with a little bit. But it's going to be a good time, guys. Jack, uh, what is Jet Propulsion Lab? Jet Propulsion Lab, I think, was uh, the company that Jack Parsons co-founded. And uh, it ended up becoming bought by NASA. Like, it ended up becoming, uh, I think, a lab for NASA. Yeah, so this guy's like on the precursor to NASA, pretty much. Yeah, Jack Parsons is. It's interesting you guys mentioned, like, it's like this story doesn't feel real. Like, I, I've talked to you, Andy, about the idea that, like, things like there are some. Sometimes it just feels like there are certain things that weren't always around and that they got inserted into the timeline. Ah. Yeah. Like, there's something. <clears throat> Like, like I don't know. I've heard that mentioned with narwhals. <laughs> I, I don't yeah. want to blow up your no, spot. No, no, I get drunk and talk about narwhals and how they weren't here until about six years ago. That's yeah. fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The crazy thing for me on this is we went from Wright Brothers to Jet Propulsion Labs in, like, not a lot of time. We went from, like, That's barely... That's what my father was fascinated by. Yeah. He's got a fascination with flight. And it was... Uh, so, obviously, the topic of today, this guy, Jack Parsons, he's growing up. Anybody else who's interested in aviation is going exactly your way, mm-hmm. you know, because it wasn't even too long before the Wright brothers. We were still trying to figure out a way to get uh, combat air balloons. That was a real oh, thing. Yeah. We covered that on the show that um, the Hindenburg prior to that during the Civil War, they used to jet, take like giant balloons, fill them up you know, with air and everything like that. Then get a guy up in the air and then he would have binoculars. and He would be like, oh, it looks like this amount of troops is coming from this way here. And then you just have to, if you're a troop on the ground, be like, is that giant fucking red thing in the sky? What's that all about, man? I actually have a wrench from the Hindenburg, and it's made of um, either copper or brass. Because no matter how, if you drop that, it will not throw off a spark and therefore ignite ah. things. Yeah. Now that's pretty cool, too, man. We still have to take a trip over there, Ming, one day. Go over to the Hindenburg crash site. It's here in Jersey because it's the center of the universe, folks. Um, could not find a Jersey connection for this guy because he's pretty much a California kid his whole life. Right. Yeah. I wasn't finding too, too much on him, but um, he is one of the most influential members uh, of the early rocketry program, especially in America here. Mm -hmm. He reads like a little bit like something out of a a Marvel movie. And in classic loser fashion, he, again, made us reread Wikipedia several times and watched like at least a half a dozen YouTube videos. One of the YouTube videos I sat there and I was like, all right, I'm going down this conspiracy theory wormhole. Whoops. All right. I don't need to hear about uh, (laughs) it. How the the great disease is coming and whatnot. He was named after his dad, Marvel. That was his birth name. As a matter of fact, in the at least in the Marvel films, Tony Stark's father, Howard, is based somewhat on Jack Parsons, at least physically, with mustache mustache and and in being like a rocket scientist. Got that Rudolph Valentino mustache going on, kind of a thing. Yeah, and And his name's Marvel. 
That's also true. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot like the Wright brothers with uh, the, you know, Wilbur. My dad's first name is Wilbur. My middle name is Wilbur. So thank, thankfully, they didn't give me the first, you know, Wilbur. But And for those who don't know, Andy's also part Hawaiian. Had he been a girl, his name would have been Lila Yukalani. Hell yeah. So. <laughs> I only just discovered your middle name's Wilbur. Yeah. Yeah, my middle name's Wilbur. If my I dad. ever get annoyed with you. My dad's first name was Wilbur, and they made him play the accordion as a kid. Andy's got one of those lives that's a lot like Jack Parsons, where you keep, you know, the more you learn about it, you're like, all right, someone's fucking with me right now. Yeah. That'll, <laughs> that'll do, pig. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was, but Jack Parsons was born in L.A. under the name Marvel. Parsons. Marvel Whiteside Parsons. Yeah. yeah. It's a hell yep. of a name. Marvel as well. That's connection to like the fact that he ended up or maybe they could have re- like made this decided because his name's marvel they decided to model tony stark's father possible then they, then they start calling him jack which is a whole nother weird well, then thing, they right? called him john before that. john was the first name he's yeah. got a weird and he's a, yeah he's a john that switched to jack like me yeah i know it was so weird like i was yeah yeah there is a lot there was a little bit of a head trip there like kind of in my research and i was talking out loud to somebody about it and i was talking about how the, the jack parsons gets cucked by l ron hubbard of all people not yeah. to jump ahead but i'm like saying yeah jack like just essentially allowed his girl to get fucked by l ron hubbard and i was like saying it aloud and i was like fuck having flashbacks to yeah. failed we're, relationships we're going full <laughs> shutter island in here today yeah. yeah we're telling you a little bit of it's, it's a nice tarantino vibe actually i'm kind of digging it but real mm-hmm. quick just to give the time frame here he is born October 2nd, 1914 in Los Angeles, California. Marvel Whiteside Parsons would become Jack to his family later, right? By the way, those who don't know, Jack Steiger is a good stage name, by the way. It's yeah. my real, you know, I'm Kevin Patrick Burke. KP Burke's just a nickname, right? But Jack Steiger is a good stage name. His real name, Timothy McVeigh. Um, <laughs> so he wanted to, <laughs> when he came to America, he realized that had a different meaning. <laughs> but... Uh, it's interesting. He becomes known as Jack to his family, a genius to his peers, a Satan worshiper to his critics, and a biological father to me, probably. Uh, <laughs> Parsons would only spend 37 years on this earth, but made impacts on it that are still felt today. Parsons, like we say, born and dies in L.A., just like gangbanger life, you know what I mean? Uh, in an explosion in his home laboratory in Pasadena on June 17, 1952. And his story, just to give you guys a heads up here. It's a weirder episode. LP's not here, so I know that one guy that wants to bang my dad isn't listening, but um, this story is going to involve rocketry, Aleister Crowley, yep. L. Ron Hubbard, the Nazis, the communists, and of course, the occult. So I'm bringing in a little bit of everybody here. I'm, I'm bringing in two of my most interesting friends to talk about this ridiculous nonsense here that's going on with this guy, Jack Parsons, mm-hmm. who, by the way, still holds six patents. I checked that out today. Oh, interesting. This so, is like... Um Howard Hughes meets Elon Musk meets uh, Heaven's Gate. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's elements of everything. Like, the dude was a legit genius, it seems. Absolutely. And in the right place at the right time and calling on deities. Well, they argued that uh, – so there's two guys that are known as, like, the fathers of modern rocketry. One of them is uh, Werner von Braun. I don't know if you guys know about him. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, I was at his uh, observatory in Alabama this summer. That's correct. That's yeah. right. You sent me that after listening to that episode. Yeah. Jack, just real quick. It's okay if you don't know who he is, but did you know who Werner von Braun was? Yes. Okay. A lot of people don't know that. We did a whole episode on how he was brought over from Operation Paperclip. That essentially, he was a member of the SS, you know, the upper echelon mm-hmm. of the Nazi party, and then wound up hanging out with Walt Disney and doing uh, Disney space programs and stuff like that. Mm. Also, he's the reason that the Apollo missions worked, but he wants to well. Yeah, <laughs> come on. Most of them. Uh, 
the uh, he was known as the father of modern rocketry and a guy that uh, Werner von Braun would say, you know, who else could be considered the father of modern rocketry? Jack Parsons. Hmm. So, again, you're getting um, a lot of acclaim. The scientific community is kind of mixed feelings about him still. But young Jack has a very strange childhood. His father was uh, the family was originally from Massachusetts. They move out to California. And uh, while they're on California, all of a sudden his dad gets sent back to Massachusetts by his mother after she discovers that his father was seeing a prostitute on the regular. <clears throat> so getting busted with hookers kind of has a negative connotation here, especially for the times. Uh, and Jack actually winds up moving in with his mom and his grandparents. And they live on a place called, uh, I think it's Millionaire Row or something like that. Yeah, something real weird about it. It was a, I think that was the nickname for, because it was just a really, it was a, it was a house. It was a, a street kind of lined by mansions. Yeah, so it's a. I don't know what the exact name of it was. But it's a nice area in L.A. We'll say that much about it. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of goofy because uh, because of that. Jack has very few friends as a child, and he's uh, considered rather effeminate, which is funny because later on in his life he takes on this kind of over-masculine kind of a thing. Cause... Yeah, but he's still getting cucked by like, – we can get into it later, but one of, the, like, one of the most interesting things about him is just how weak he was. <laughs> yeah, well, there's, there's times when you sit there and you're like, this guy's an absolute genius, and then you're like, how did this guy not figure this out? Like, he's falling for shit that you – like the street-level like level smarts that we have at this table where all guys mm-hmm. that work manual labor jobs. Yeah. Yeah, we would yeah, meet yeah. L. Ron Hubbard and be like, I'm not falling for this bullshit. And Jack yeah. Parsons, who's a genius – for some reason, just falls for it hook, line, Yeah, and, and it was interesting because he keeps trying to wife up and then have this other lifestyle attached to it. And maybe that was just a, a thing of the times that the wife was necessary. But it kind of seems like you could have just led a really cool bachelor life and probably had less drama in the background. Imagine. He'd be like the Big Lebowski. Well, <laughs> there's something weird about that, that attachment disorder, you know, I would say. I think you're right, too, that the zeitgeist probably was uh, less accommodating because, like, the whole free love thing wasn't just happening quite yet. And now, if it, it sounds like we're not making a whole lot of sense yet, give us time to unpack this guy because it's... The story it, doesn't make sense. No, though. the story's bizarre. It's <laughs> Jack has very few friends as a child. Uh, and part, mm. part of that's because he's coming. <laughs> <laughs> Jack Parsons has very few friends yes. as a child, is what yeah, you're trying to say. Correct. We'll, uh, we'll put that in the, the proper parlance. Mm-hmm. Um but it's important to notice that uh, part of this is because, A, he's a little bit effeminate. Also, he comes from like a rich part of town and everything like that. And then uh, he's real big on books and stuff. So he's always reading. He has a fondness for science and literature. He's reading like a lot of the King Arthur novels and stuff. Like, Hi Roller, what were you reading as a kid? Oh, man. Um, I read like Kubrick and uh, Alex Rexroth and a bunch of stuff I should not have been reading as a kid. Kierkegaard at like 14 was not a great idea. No, come on, buddy. What are you doing to me here? <laughs> Jack, what are you reading as a kid that messed you up? Um, that messed me up. Um, no, I think I got messed up later. I think I was on a good path when I was a kid. Something happened in my teenage years that messed me up. I, was, I read The Lord of the Rings when I was quite young. That's a, it's a steep book to read. As a, and then I read, series of books. And then I read Dune the, the, by Frank Herbert, that whole series. Yeah. And then I partied. <laughs> mine was calvin and hobbs and then uh, i read a lot of davy crockett books i wanted to be davy crockett for a long time so it's uh it's weird though he gets into uh like literature he's reading a lot of you know more advanced stuff king arthur stuff a lot of mythology stuff which gets him kind of interested in the supernatural mm-hmm. now one of his only childhood friends is this dude uh, edward foreman who uh is the only kid that's like standing up for him at school you know he makes a regular habit with his buddy edward of blowing up fireworks in the backyard 
of the largest state that Jack and his family now lived on. Uh, small experiments with cherry bombs and gunpowder and a disinterest in school, Jack and Ed would seemingly be a better fit for MTV's Jackass than it would be for the early aeronautics program. But as we're going to continue to see, there's not a huge difference between the two of those things in this time period. So they're not doing like the milk challenge or anything like that, but it's definitely... No, uh, they're not eating Tide Pods. They're blowing some shit up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, what kind of potential did those fellows from Columbine have, you know, when it comes to... <laughs> You, you just point that, you know, scope in a little bit of a di different direction. And then all of a sudden, you know, maybe we, we got Space Force. That's true, man. There's also some people that are still maintaining that Space Force already exists. And we're going to find out about it on January 20th. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I had a good conversation with one of the listeners of the show, uh, Dr. David Warmflash. He wrote uh, Moon and Illustrated History. And he would be a, a fascinating guy to talk to about this. So I'm anxious to hear what his feedback is on the episode because uh, – our boy Jack Parsons, he's a little kid who's not really great at school, and he's throwing fireworks in the backyard. He's getting bullied. That you know, the kids at school kind of call him, you know, whatever names you'd call an effeminate kid. And uh, but he's got one buddy, and they're blowing up cherry bombs in the backyard all the time. And then somehow or other, a crater on the moon gets named after him. After Parsons. Oh yeah, there's a crater on the moon named after him. There's also a crater on the moon named after Werner von Braun. Get this though, Jack Parsons crater. Is on the dark side of the moon. Which means that it doesn't, doesn't actually it exist. exist. <laughs> yes, uh, There's some bullshit on the moon. We don't have to go down that rabbit hole, but I'll tell you what. <laughs> I think Do you, you know what we're talking fun. about here? Oh, the theory that uh, the moon does not exist. Because I, I asked David Wormflash about that on the one episode we did with him. We did a Skype call. Uh -huh. in, uh, I listened to it. He's in Seattle. And I asked him, I said, what would you, you say? You say he's a doctor? Yes. No, oh, that's surprising. <laughs> What we're talking about is the fact that no matter how far back you go in history, the moon is de the same side of the moon is depicted, which means over centuries, it kind of uh, doesn't change, which is not the way space bodies have a tendency to work. They all have a tendency to uh, rotate or cavitate. So that one just in the perfect alignment of that makes it a bit suspicious. Yeah, the moon is very weird. Get the fuck out of here, move. <laughs> now, as much fun as these guys are to talk to, we got to get Jack to talk into the microphone a little bit more. That's the one thing here. Ming's got a nice setup here so that High Roller can kind of have his... Uh, High Roller's got his same stage persona going on right now during the podcast, which is great. But um, it's also during this time... Uh, there's a couple of things we want to mention here real quickly. Around this time frame, Jack's interest in the occult is going to start to begin. Mm -hmm. Jack performed an incantation once as a child intended to summon the devil... And he feared that it may have worked uh, because he thinks that something might have happened and it scared him off from future incantations for a while, at least. Did you know about that part? Yeah, I looked into that. I couldn't find too much about that. Um, it's interesting that, you know, because I, I heard I, I came across sources that said that he thought it didn't work. And then there were sources. I mean, from my magical experience, it seems like, you know, if you're trying to summon the devil, you know. That's a very broad term. So he probably some he certainly in my from what I could tell because I couldn't really find too much about it. But there's a lot of spirits that'll answer to all kinds of names. So he probably summoned something that was probably somewhat hostile to him and probably did freak him out a bit. But probably did give him the knowledge in his bones that it's real. So it scared him off for a bit, but probably... oh, I see what you so like. He tried calling the devil, and then like a secretary answered and was like, "Oh, it's me." What's up? <laughs> and then that's he... a lot of times, yeah, yeah, because that seems like a big. When you're going to the guy, like if you're starting yeah. out in magic or whatever, it seems like a mistake to go for the guy. Like I'm not gonna go. 
and yeah. try to open for Louie, but maybe, you know, so a lesser, you know what I'm saying? Like a lesser comic right off the bat. So I feel like that was a mistake. Maybe that was naivety on his part. Yeah, there's... Uh... Can't go for the big dog. Now, I remember once as a kid... Um, Having the thought that uh, if I couldn't find something, I was going to tell uh, I was going I was going to pray to God and tell God, God help me find this thing. And if He didn't, then I was going to be like, then I'll try Satan next. Yeah. <laughs> it was a weird twisted thought in my head as a kid. But this is going to lead us into a thing of the occult. Now a lot of people have a very bizarre understanding of the occult. Um, so Jack Steiger, it's your time to shine, baby. Ooh. All right, what is the occult for the listeners at home? Well, the word occult actually means hidden, but essentially, like as people kind of you know the connotation of a cult is like essentially magic with a k basically just ceremonial magic and uh there's all it's a very broad uh field obviously well you're this is something that you brought to my attention because we had a great lovecraft episode with you Mm -hmm. and you broke down a lot of that stuff and that you actually uh on occasion have been known to uh you know have your dalliances with it right Oh yeah, I mean, I, I, that's the main thing. I have effectively retired from stand-up to pursue a career <laughs> in occult magic. Um, but uh, it's. Uh, if I recall you're the reason Angelo Gingerelli lost all of his hair last year. Mm, no, I'm the reason why a certain show got canceled, but uh, in in the uh, Asbury scene. But get him, get him. <laughs> yeah, that, it was gone before COVID. I just want to point that out. <laughs> Uh, where's the camera? I want to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so where's the separation baseball. between like what David Koresh was doing, which doesn't seem like occult stuff. That Solid seems reference. more religious based. And then there's Heaven's Gate. And then there's man like and then there's Manson and then there's like NXVIM or Nexium recently. So like where do you find a distinction in the levels of occultism and like the examples like that? The distinctions? Yeah, these are all like cults are an interesting phenomena because you could argue that the cult is itself a spirit. Like a lot of times like when my like this as I said in the beginning of this episode, like looking into this part like there's a line that Jack Parsons is a part of the magical lineage kind of comes from, you know, like he was a disciple of Crowley via Thelema, which comes from the Golden Dawn, which you can trace that back to John D and even further. Like, well, I'm going to hit you Egypt. up for some info on uh, good old Alistair in a little bit too, man. So yeah, plenty of time to unpack this guy. But um, it's hard to say. I mean, the spirit world is a very vast and very populated place and so a lot of people receive all kinds of transmissions and downloads from various entities and a lot of them make exclusive claims of you know that they're the sovereign deity or whatever a lot of them lie (laughs) most of them lie yeah i think i have a hard time with the distinction everything from like white girl instagram bullshit to like (laughs) actual like cult level stuff and i think that it's very you know there's a lot of crossover but then at a certain point it becomes real yeah i don't understand what real means there's a lot of people that actually are convinced too we're gonna see a lot in this story where it's people that are convinced that something else spoke to them yeah or and then there's that true believer thing so you're right. There could be the guy that lies, but then what if you're the person who is a true believer and your your faith is in the right place, but it's based off of this other guy's lie? Mm. Oh, so yeah. that kind of gets to be an interesting dynamic too. It's yeah, and you actually see in this in, in the story of Jack Parsons, like he is an interesting. He is a node that kind of connects 
um, a few different belief systems. Like you kind of, he's connected to L. Ron Hubbard, which we'll get into. Oh yeah, late. Uh, I don't know whenever, but it would um, be extremely complimentary of them for legal reasons. <laughs> They've lost all power. Like who gives a fuck about them? You sure, Tom Cruise is trending again, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Well, what's gonna, he's going to scream, yell at us, <laughs> come down the hallway. Damn it, we should have shut the door. He's going to come down the hallway, get on his step stool, and yell at us. Yeah. I maintain, though, if Scientology gives a man who is five foot six the power to uh, date, marry, and then have multiple children with uh, a beautiful Australian woman who's about six inches taller than him, then praise Zeno, baby. Sign me up. Okay? <laughs> I got to yeah. tell you this, though, and it's going to be hard to hear. Eddie Vedder is only five foot seven. <laughs> I'm taller than Eddie Vedder? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I am the better man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of broke my heart in a weird way when I found that out. That just tripped me out, man. I should have yeah. looked up Jack Parsons' height, actually. That would have been good to know on this one. But that question you have about, like, cults and, like, the degree of, I guess, like, authenticity. Like, you actually see, like, a, a new cult form, off, like, that branches off of uh, Crowley's Thelema okay. via L. Ron Hubbard and Scientology. You actually see that. And they're ve- it's a very different belief system, but it has a lot of the same spiritual DNA that Thelema has. It's yeah. kind of an offspring of Thelema. Yeah, I mean, I think I have a decent grasp on it, but just as far as it goes from like a layman or listener perspective on like occultism, I think it might be good to kind of like, this is to define uh, Alistair Crowley as kind of high level stuff, especially for the time. Well, he was considered, he's an interesting guy. I'm going to throw to him in a second because I got to unpack just the rocket thing here for a second real quick. And um, now as Jack grew up, a change of schools had to be in place for him uh, because he was struggling academically, like terribly. He was a terrible, awful student. Almost everybody on American Loser is a terrible student and goes on to do something miraculous. So that should tell you something about the school system. But, mm. um, you know, I was not great in school. Now I host a podcast with my dad. So anything's possible, kids. All right. <laughs> but he, uh, Jack grows up. He winds up going into a change of school. They put him into this different one that's kind of got a different, more um, uh, progressive, liberal kind of attitude towards uh, academics. And the kid flourishes. He's actually the editor of the school newspaper all of a sudden. He's doing good stuff. Um, the traditional approach was not working for him, though. But now he's finally showcasing all these intellectual qualities. People are starting to figure out this kid's got a brain to him. And his obsession with rockets is also going to continue. Jack is unable to remain in school at the higher level. He was trying to go to, I think, Pasadena, Pasadena Community College. And then he was trying to get into, I think he worked at USC at one point. And then the uh, the dream was for him to get into a couple of different schools, but he wasn't able to Stanford, afford it. Stanford was one of them. And then he winds up actually working with Caltech, which is pretty cool. Mm. But um, so he, due to these financial constraints, he's going to wind up working for the DuPont-owned, by the way. I had to do a little research into this. Mm. The DuPont-owned Hercules Powder Company, where he would further his uh, education on chemistry and explosive compounds. And uh, I think around this time, he started figuring out how to make liquid nitrogen. And then he would just start making it at home all the time. Yeah, he had a lab on his front porch. Yep. And gave himself uh, severe headaches to constant exposure to it. He was plagued Mm. by that most of his life here. Um, Now, Jack began to uh, assemble these plans for a solid fuel rocket engine. And like you said earlier, dude, it was everyone else who's interested in aviation at this time is like, yeah, what about planes? They go like, you know, this way, right? You know, go east, west. sideways mobiles. Exactly. And then, you know, the rocket people who are sitting like, well, what can we do with rockets? Rockets were kind of like studied. The Germans had a real interest in them. One of the major reasons the Germans were so interested in them prior to World War II, by the way, is because in the armistice that was signed that ended World War I, Germany was not allowed to have pretty much a military. So because rockets were considered a science program, that's why they're like, oh, we're going to get a really good rocket program. And guess what? They started bombing the shit out of all the other countries around them with ah, the same okay. rockets 
designed in part by Werner von Braun, also stolen from a guy named Goddard, who was an American scientist who, when he was uh, taking a look at the rockets like that were being recovered by the British uh, troops, so like, this is the stuff that they're bombing Britain with. This American Goddard goes over there with the US Navy and he's looking and he goes, this is my creation, man. This guy stole my this guy stole my track and then sold it back to me, man. All right, that's pretty much what's going on here. The rocket thing is kind of fascinating for these people. Uh, now, Goddard, like I said, is an early American scientist and von Braun heavily borrowed from him. So you got these two names, Goddard and von Braun. And these are actually people that Jack Parsons is having regular correspondence with. They're talking about rocket designs because you figure we all found each other. We were all had an interest in stand up comedy. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's how the three of us got to be buddies. Um, but it's not for it. you got to go to where the comedy is going to be. And then once you meet the comics, and you're like, oh, we can talk about these fucked up ideas here because it's a safer place for that. You can't just walk around hoping that you can talk to, you know, some guy in the street in Pasadena, California about rocket science. Yeah, it's a much smaller microcosm. Oh, yeah. They're writing letters to each other. They're talking on the phone for hours. They're like a couple of gal pals. So, but uh, Von Braun's got a lot of stuff going on over here. Uh, for more of that, uh, if you want to learn more about the Von Braun thing, check out our episode on uh, the Nazi of NASA, Werner Von Braun. Cannot recommend that one enough. Did you go into the uh, UFO ties with the Nazis and all that stuff? There, uh, a little bit of that is very interesting. Because it seems like they really, whether you believe in it or not, it seems like they believed in it. Oh, totally. And yeah. uh, the idea of um, the UFO thing gets a little bit crazier, too, because almost like Jack was saying earlier that you have, we're going to talk about the guy in a second, Aleister Crowley. Crowley's going to fold right into Jack Parsons. Jack Parsons is falling into the space age. Okay. And then at the end of the space age, you have the UFO age almost immediately thereafter. Okay. Right. And then you also have the weird free love thing. So this weird behavior that's frowned upon during Jack Parsons time almost becomes accepted in everyday life, maybe 10, 15 years after he dies. Hmm. So it gets to be pretty goofy. Yeah. There's a, something I heard once that I like a lot is that culture is um, the it, it's it's a it's a common surface between the material world and the spirit world, and you kind of and something in, like in looking researching for this episode, there's there's something weird going on with like these scientists who were also they they have like a there's a lot of these scientists at this time period who were involved in the occult and Eastern mysticism, and they were producing all kinds of space age technology and nuclear weaponry. Like it's some, and there's something weird going on with like the their exposure to these, you know, alternative spiritualities. Seems to it seems to have something to do with these, um, these space age the the dissemination of these space age technologies into our uh, culture. Well, I mean, even the Large Haldron Collider is trying to find the what? No one knows but me. The God, the, the, the God the, particle. The, the, yeah, the no, the Higgs boson, I believe, which they're referred to as the God particle. So all this stuff is still tied together now. You know, well, Parsons also has got a little bit of a um, having a renaissance career-wise, if you will, uh, because we're now starting to accept him a little bit. Because a lot of his works were buried. They were like, "This guy's a crackpot." If you yeah. said that you were a rocket scientist back in this time frame. They looked at you like, oh, cool. How's QAnon? You guys enjoying yourself? Yeah. Okay. They thought you were fucking nuts. But yeah. Jack is earning a decent living at the time. He takes on this full-time position over at Hercules Powder and continues his experiments, often with shit that he stole from work, which I thought was hilarious because that's almost like, uh, you know, I don't want to say fight club just because you're here, but it's almost like a little bit of a Project Mayhem thing where he's coming home to build some rockets in his backyard. Yes, I do have a fight club. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, he's gonna mainly be- just me fighting my demons, but <laughs> occasionally somebody else shows up. Yeah, his name's Robert Paulson. Uh, <laughs> But he's plagued by these headaches from this constant exposure to nitroglycerin because he's making that and kind of selling it on the side too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Parsons and his cohorts are uh, are interesting guys, man. He's got a he's got a pretty good crew that he's running with. Um, he winds up obtaining federal funding to use Caltech resources and grants to work on their rocket program. In order to get the funding for it, they can't openly admit that the end game result is what they intend to be space exploration. Now we're going to get into that occult thing here in a minute. He really did feel that space age technology and rocket, you know, exploring space and the occult were uh, two sides of the same coin. Mm. That's kind of how he looked at it. But it's interesting because he has to kind of casually lie on the forums like, hey, what, what's this rocket thing for? Oh, we want to see about, uh, I mean, the military could use it maybe, right? Mm. And then because if you said we want to explore space, they would just get laughed out of the building because that's what happened once. Mm. Oddly enough, one of the guys that mocked him and denied him from being a part of Caltech wound up having to come work for him later. So that's a great fuck you moment if you wanted one. Mm. But um, and Balls, it's very important here to also note that uh, they can't openly admit about that because uh, at the time, anybody who was into rocket science was it was openly mocked. You were a crackpot. You were a mad scientist, blah, 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 because science never changes, folks. So when you stand by the science, you know, I believe in science. That's what they said as they jailed, jail, uh, jailed Galileo. Almost got that one out. But that's a hard set of syllables. Uh, it yeah. was, you know, and for a guy who's on Klonopin, it was too ambitious. You know what I mean? You and Jordan Peterson, baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Jack, his buddy, Ed Foreman and their new pal, Frank Molina, were dubbed. Did you get to the nickname of what these guys were called when they were on the Caltech? The Suicide thing? Squad. Yep. The Suicide Squad. Man, you hear that? Just walking around in their short shorts with their face tattoos. I, uh, yeah, yeah, with bats and, uh, yeah, <laughs> and fishnets. Gotta love it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a good look for them. That probably could have happened, too, later on in the story. Yeah. No one talks about the tattooed girl with the daddy issues who was also helping them build rockets. <laughs> well, women scientists were frowned upon at this time. <laughs> no. the, uh, the three, by the way, hilarious. They were known as uh, the Suicide Squad, which was as a term of disparagement. Right. That was supposed to be an insult for them, but it kind of gave them this cool, weird vibe on campus where all of a sudden the press is like, what are these suicide squad dudes up to? And then they're like, I hear they just smoke pot and drink and talk about exploring space. And you're like, oh, well, I mean, does it, can I take it as a class? I'll do a pass fail. Whatever I got to do, man, let me know. But they're starting to get a little bit of a, a name for themselves on uh, campus. Also around this time frame, they're starting to uh, have a, a foray into uh, left wing politics, which, by the way, not even left wing politics, I shouldn't say. They're openly courting ideas of communism and socialism, which is important for the time because it's going to become extremely frowned upon as we're gearing up towards World War II at this time. I think it's worth noting that Jack Parsons, I don't think he ever fully embraced communism. In fact, I think he never joined the party. He turned down a friend who was trying to get him to join. But at, at this stage in history, merely attending one of those meetings was quite damning for your career prospects exactly especially anything adjacent to military if you yeah. want to check out our uh, episode on mccarthyism it's on the patreon five dollars a month that's the cost of one large cup of coffee from dunkin donuts and we give you a bonus content episode every month check it out Thank sold you. <laughs> <laughs> um no you're correct jack never formally uh joins the american communist party but he is does become a member of the aclu which i thought was interesting mm. um Jack would meet his future wife, Helena, around this time. Helena and Jack would have a troubled relationship because Jack would tend to spend most of his money funding the research for the boys over at the Suicide Squad, making rockets and even producing liquid nitrogen at home in his laboratory. Don't come out on the front porch, honey. I'm making explosives. 
his need for the money led him to constantly also having to ask for loans from his own in-laws. And at one time, he hocked his wife's engagement ring in order to try to pay for some shit for rockets. Mm. So a little bit of a stressed marriage, I'll say that much. Mm. Uh, Jack would also gain attention as the explosive expert called in to testify on a large trial involving the attempted murder of an LAPD officer by his own captain. The officer had pretty much... Um, been a whistleblower for some corruption going on in the LAPD. Shout out Christopher Dorner. <laughs> and the <laughs> underrated joke. <laughs> <clears throat> but uh, his captain actually uh, is supposedly been one of the people who was uh, responsible for uh, a plot that was going to blow this guy up in a car. And they brought in Jack Parsons as the explosives expert. So now this guy has already got a little bit of a reputation for himself. He's over at Caltech. He's hanging out. This guy maybe smokes pot, hangs out at communist meetings, whatever it is. Um, He's blowing shit up all the time. Now, he shows up as the explosives expert. Now, if you look at a picture of Jack Parsons at that trial, he's holding up uh, what is clearly a pipe bomb. You made a reference to Columbine earlier. It looks like a pipe bomb yeah. that he's holding. His hand. But then also in the back of my mind, because it's I've, you know it's been a COVID year, I was like, oh, dude, he invented the fleshlight? Look at this thing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, because the captain of the LAPD actually gets uh, the... Based off, he gets convicted based off testimony provided by Jack Parsons. Look, oh, Ming brought the photo up. Tell me that doesn't look like that. He's handsome. Jack Parsons is a handsome boy. Yeah. So again, why do you, why is he getting married? Like, what kind of you know what I mean? He had to get married back then, man. I guess, but uh, this wasn't Motley Crue's L.A. yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, if he had come out a couple of years later, holy hell, would he have been in some trouble? But, we, I mean, like, we've done Edward Bernays, kind of ugly. Uh, Carl <laughs> Panzeram, definitely ugly. And uh, now we got this guy who is stunning. There's, he's a handsome boy. I yeah. find that there's good photos of Jack Parsons and bad photos of Jack Parsons. Like, what we're looking at now is a relatively good photo of him. But there's some, he looks a little bit chode manlet for want of a better term, in other what, photos. If you see him without, <laughs> chode manlet is a great term, by the way. Um, if you ever see a photo of him without the mustache, it's a jarring transition. The mustache helps him. Hmm. It's like when you see a picture of my dad without a mustache. My dad looks like he's in his, he's approaching 70 and he looks like a 16-year-old boy without his mustache. So it's, wow, it, yeah. my mother's never seen him without a mustache either. So that's, it uh, covers up a lip tattoo he got in prison. But My goodness. That is what it is. Um, um, he is considered this fascinating mad scientist character. So imagine that's your picture in the paper. Like you just said, Jack, that's a good picture in the paper for you. Mm-hmm. He's got this mad scientist thing going on. Mm-hmm. They don't quite know what the deal is. He's a little bit famous now, and he's you know he's considered kind of a brilliant guy. Mm-hmm. But around uh, 1939, this mad scientist in the City of Angels, his story's going to take a weird turn. Friends start taking Parsons to a church-type organization. Uh Care to enlighten us a little bit on that, Jack Steiger? Yeah, it was a Thelema church, and they were performing the Gnostic Mass. Now, quick question. Was the Gnostic Mass, because I read about it, and my thing is this. I know a little bit, but I want you to go off on it, because I know that this is your fucking ballpark. I actually don't know too much about Thelema. (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) I know uh, that they were – it was the Gnostic Mass they were performing there. I know a fair bit about Gnosticism and – Even that actually would be interesting because I don't have a firm grasp on that at all. Gnosticism is uh, technically – it's currently deemed a a heresy by by most Christian churches. Um, Because they're taking – they're doing a mass – Almost parody, right? Yeah. A- you know what Gnosticism is? It's um, it is the dark, gritty reboot of Christianity. It's basically Ooh. kind of like the the God of the Old Testament. Is- so Jesus is you know Batman, but with a Christian Bale voice. Kinda. You're gonna love me. It's not. Uh, yeah. 
I mean, I don't want to go off. I don't want to get too uh, bogged down in the weeds, but essentially Gnosticism is like the God of the Old Testament is uh, an evil, demented God called the Demiurge and not the one true God. And that they and the, the Gnostics will say that that explains all the weird, arbitrary madness that the that God in the Old Testament partakes in. And that interesting. Um, Jesus is this emissary from the one true God trying to save all of us who are kind of fragments of the eternal true God. And we're trying to rejoin the one true God. And it's um, it's very popular amongst uh, magic. I certainly uh, contemplated a lot and it informs my worldview. But And I think it was very important to... Uh, Thelema. You can kind of see it in Scientology as well. like um, Which but, will also come into play later. Yeah. The idea of like we're all kind of trapped by um, like Xenu's kind of analogous to that demiurge uh, false god and that we're all kind of in- trapped in this world and our mission is to achieve gnosis and get yeah. free. Yeah. That's why it's very popular with magicians because it's all about kind of using spirituality to liberate yourself. I'm going to throw you another one real quick. You ready, bud? You're mm-hmm. doing great, by the way. Okay. You need a drink yet or what? No, I don't think I'll drink. We'll figure you out. <laughs> um, I'll tell you what. So here's what the, the next thing I'm going to set you up for then. You said to magicians. Now, for me as a kid, I hear magicians. I hear Siegfried and Roy. Yes. Right? Amazing Jonathan. The this podcast is over. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I grew up with. That's my conventional understanding of a magician. So mm-hmm. if you want to explain to the listeners at home what kind of magicians we're about to be talking about, what kind of magic with the K, as you emphasized earlier, are we about to be talking about? Because your boy Alistair's about to come into the story. Yeah. So basically magic, it's hard to define, I guess, but basically it's, um, I guess I would call it practical spirituality. So it's like using spirituality to achieve certain ends. Like, because a lot of times with like, you know, religion is a form of spirituality, but it's somewhat passive in a lot of cases. It's um, magic is sort of, I guess, magic with a K at least is sort of jailbroken spirituality. Interesting. Maybe that's one way of looking at it. Is it like, because like, um, a lot of people say, like, what we know as yoga is actually street yoga, but the real yoga was like more transcendental. So, is that like a apt comparison? You think? Possibly. I mean, there's different magical traditions, and like, like with yoga, yoga might actually be like a legitimate. Like a good example is sort of like the distinction between voodoo and hoodoo. I know these are silly but words. No, these, these are great terms, actually, because you're going to help explain uh, some other words. I don't know the actual answer what you're about to say, so I'm yeah. fascinated. Please. Well, voodoo is an actual religion. That is a religion that um, it, it originally comes from Africa, but it, it got intertwined with American culture. But it's an actual religion, and you can't actually do voodoo and do anything else. It is a magical tradition. But it's a religion and it requires you to follow certain rules and propitiate certain entities and do certain techniques. Hoodoo is sort of, it's it's more like street yoga. Mm -hmm. Like you can actually, hoodoo is sort of like the the jailbroken techniques of voodoo. Like like you can use voodoo. You'll see people doing, um, and tell me if I'm right here. I want to know. I I didn't mean to interrupt you. But uh, you'll see down south sometimes that there's people that have especially in like areas like New Orleans and stuff like that, uh-huh. and in certain parts like the Florida Panhandle, 
uh, Mobile, Alabama a little bit too. There's people down there that are Christians who have a little Santeria to them kind of a thing. So is oh, that yeah. where you're able to mix those ideologies? Is that more of the hoodoo thing? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, frankly, I do quite a bit of, uh, well, I would do consider it like folk Catholicism in a lot of ways. Like I'll appeal to saints. Like that's, as far as I'm concerned, good magic. Like, and um, so. Yeah, um, that hierarchy is kind of fascinating. Of yeah. Saints to God. For a different to, thing. Yeah. And the, the Greeks had a different God for everything, too, which is always going to. I grew up reading a lot of Greek mythology as a kid. Yes. That's yeah. what I always try to liken it to, so I yeah. understand it. It's all very. Yeah. But uh, we'll probably get into like the kind of idea of like hierarchies, but there's all kinds of different. Like, it all seems to be kind of true. I mean, we can go on and on about this, but it's it's. Like Greek mythology and voodoo are simultaneously two avenues for magical praxis. Like you can, you can. Ex- I I've used stuff from Greek mythology as well as from uh, hoodoo traditions, as well as Christian traditions. Like it's very weird that these belief systems, while on, uh, outwardly seem very contradictory and are contradictory, they they're interoperable. It's kind of weird. It's it's got to be interesting. So let's say you're a guy who grew up reading like the King Arthur legends, like Jack Parsons is, mm-hmm. and you're clearly a smart guy and you're finding this cool rocket thing. You're like, we're going to explore the heavens. We're gonna get, and then they start bringing you around to this Ordu Templi Orientis kind of thing. Am mm-hmm. I saying that right, by the way, bud? I'm, I guess so, yeah. Well, the OTO. Definitely are, dude. Yeah. <laughs> let's go with it. OTO, it. we'll start calling it that. I like that. Shorthand, baby. Yeah. Uh, but they start taking them around to this uh, OTO, Ordo Templi Orientis. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, they're kind of a, an interesting crew. They're out in California still. So, again, he's a California kid the entire time here. Uh, and they are practicing these Gnostic masses, which, like you said earlier, is kind of like a, a uh, not a send-up, not like a slapstick airplane version of anything. You know what I mean? But uh, definitely um, definitely not going to be something that the Catholic Church is thrilled about, right? They're not, it's no. a little bit of a differentiation there. But it's going to appeal to a guy who's a mad scientist with a love of kind of folklore and literature like Jack Parsons. He's immediately fascinated by this uh, – Thelma, I'm screwing up everything here today. Thelema. Thelema, thank you. Uh, and they're listening to the teachings of a guy who is known as the most wicked man on earth, the beast incarnate, right? Yeah. Alistair Crowley. Um, now, what do you know about Alistair Crowley, Andrew Highroller? Oh, man. Well, Black Sabbath wrote a song about him. Mr. Crowley. Yeah. And... Uh, he seems to be like I think there's a I think there's an interesting thing in all these like these types where you know Koresh and a few people I mentioned earlier, where it's like there's some like and it's something that I've kind of studied um, just with like uh, for comedy's sake because if you can get people to do Jonestown stuff, right? Oh yeah. Or uh, Heaven's Gate stuff, right? If, I, if you can get 700 people to kill themselves, then I should be able to get 40 people to a comedy show. So I, I've paid attention to this, these, what these guys do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's true. Actually, I know a couple of clubs that uh, if you're willing to bring 40 people, they would, in fact, let you perform. So that's good to know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, now, Jack, what do you know about Aleister Crowley? Because he's considered one of these. Uh, I mean, I guess they were. This is, Crowley brings on all the negative connotations. And don't get me wrong. There's plenty of weird, dark shit going on. The guy calls himself the beast, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Winds up becoming a heroin addict later on in life. Yeah. Uh, definitely some weird, crazy stuff going on with him. But uh, they said almost off the bat, I believe, because what was it? He went to Oxford, I believe, for his early education. And they identified that he had a supremely high IQ. I mean, he, he was a genius. He was very blue-blooded. You know, he came from money. 
mm-hmm. and I believe he inherited a lot of his money and like he, you know that certainly helped him gallivant around the world <laughs> well that's where that that whole uh i mean he's got his first wife with him and there's that really creepy story about him going around uh, uh that they're in egypt and uh the wife is saying that uh some, they're here for you they're you know like they're someone's here for you they're waiting for you yeah. yeah he performed i think it was he he performed the headless rite which is a very very old ritual that i've done and um but he performed it in a pyramid i don't have that credit um, <laughs> that would be nice to be introduced before going on a show, like performed the headless right inside the Great yeah. Pyramid. <laughs> and he murdered a guy with a skateboard, Jack Steiger. You know? <laughs> so I'll never lift that down. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, high roll. I'm so sorry. you're making it sound like uh, Alistair Crowley had a bit of uh, Donald Trump like nepotism to his career. Like he was handed a lot and then he was able to do a. Yeah, I, arguably I, okay yeah, amount I'm, with I suppose what he was handed. I might just be player hating. Oh, okay, um, I shouldn't be. I, he he's um. What I know about him is that he was he was originally a member of. He went to, to the Golden Dawn, and he was a Important, member of that. And then them. yeah, and he left them and formed his own religion. And uh, or I, he would not want to call it a religion. I don't think he would want. What well, was Golden Dawn a cult? They were. I think they were. I mean, yes, but I think they would prefer to see themselves as uh, a hermetic order of the a, Golden Dawn. An order. Yeah, I was going to say an order. A secret society is what uh, I've heard, seen. Like on Wikipedia, they're classified as a secret society. Which is inter- now when you are too intense for a secret society, you decide to go start your own. Crowley's got some balls to him. Yeah, I, I, I suspect Crowley has some high tea. You know, <laughs> <laughs> probably does. Well, Crowley is uh, again known as the the world's most wicked man. That's the thing they're going to uh-huh. throw around about him. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, his teachings are being taught at this uh, this temple, and uh, they're pretty fascinating. Crew that Parsons uh, spending a lot of time over there, but he's also starting to hit as he's starting to become a, a prominent member of this congregation, if you will. We'll call it that loosely for um, you know what what they're turning themselves into, but. Uh, it's fascinating to me that he's becoming uh, a leader in the cult around the same time that he's hitting his professional rocketry peak. So these two things are completely, I mean, he's able to make it work that way. It's a, you, some, you try to figure out how to balance uh, alcoholism and, uh, you know, uh, being still able to perform on a comedy show or something like that. Mm. No, I've struggled with that. Um, this guy's able to do both seamlessly for some reason. And it's, there's chaos in both of them, too. Like, it's there's some weird sex parties going on like that. They're big on the, the idea of uh, sex magic and... Um, Hmm. It's uh, what do you know off the top of your? Because I know Jack's going to have an, uh, an an opinion on this, but sex magic. Do you know anything about that, Andy? Well, the Chili Peppers had an album called Blood Sugar Sex Magic, <laughs> and uh, it basically, if you listen to that at like fourteen, fifteen, you will be okay at having sex. Like it is an instruction manual on how to uh, <laughs> do it. I think is the professional term. It's uh, I had to learn to a, a Nine Inch Nails album. That was a. Oh, mm-hmm. that's a. I won't say which one because it's depressing. Yeah. But the uh, downward spot. <laughs> but sets. Uh, as far as I understood, and Jack, I want you to correct me where I'm wrong, and then uh, uh, feel free to expand upon anything that I kind of dumbed down for my own self here. Mm-hmm. But set. Yeah, uh, sex magic, as I understood it, was the idea that while you were having sex, if you had an idea or a, a thought, kind of a thing that you wanted to put out into the universe, that. Uh, like having an orgasm or the act of, you know, getting towards an orgasm was kind of a connection to the cosmos, if you yeah. will, that by putting the idea out while you were having sex, um, you could then 
kind of put it out out there for the world to respond to. So it's almost it, like a vision board. It kind of asserts that there's transcendental masturbation. Ah, you know? yeah, that comes in later. You know, that did come up. I don't think that that's actually what uh, was going on with Thelema. They certainly did partake in, they did use sex in ritual and like, you know, masturbation as well. But I'm not sure, that idea about using, like having an idea and having a, it, going out into the universe through all masturbation. That's actually, I think, I might be wrong about this, but I think that comes from like the 90s chaos magicians. And they would, that that involves- the 90s? Make, yeah. There, like chaos, 1990s? 1990s. Yeah. Okay. This, there this was definitely a little bit back then too, but I'm fascinated where you're going because I, yeah. I have a quote about um, Jack from later on that I think uh, you'll get a kick out of, but we'll keep, keep going about these 90s folks here. Well, the chaos magic was kind of this, uh, this, it's a type of, technically I'm a chaos magician, but um, not that I, uh, you know, but it was the idea that it, they kind of dispense with all the orders and it was all just results based. And just like if you, you, you do what works and no no order, Templiori, Dinosaurus, Rex, whatever. Mm. It's all just kind of like do, take from whatever tradition. It's a little bit of a culture vulture kind of thing, but. Um, well, the big quote for this uh, particular but, cult was, um, do what thou wilt. Yeah. That's the whole thing. Yeah. So very libertarian kind of an idea here. So, yeah. Some would say that's almost like a laissez-faire economy attitude. It but, sounds like mm. you're talking about like the mixed martial arts of spiritualism. That, yeah. That's, that, exactly, uh, that's actually something. I, yeah. You're, like, you're uh, quoting what, me. I don't know if I am, but what was Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do? Say again? What was Bruce Lee's thing? Which was uh, the uh, amalgam? Be you like water? The amalgam. Uh, that would be, yeah, Jeet Kune Do. Yeah, Jeet Kune Do. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, having money. no way as way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. like an amalgam of all yeah. the different styles. But the sex magic thing, I, there was this thing, there is a type of magic called sigil magic, which um, to put it simply is writing out something you want as a sentence and then compressing the letters of that sentence into a single symbol. Like there was this technique that came about whereby, whereby you would look at the symbol that you've created that represents your desire and essentially jerk off to it or master mm. whatever and look at it at the moment of climax. And there's this idea that there is a kind of break in consciousness at the moment of orgasm. And that that's where I, that idea I think comes from that's what sex magic now is. i have a theory on this that i want yeah. to throw out there for you guys mm -hmm. i have two porn stars that i've had crushes on if you will like actual crushes it's not going to happen one of them is I'm brooklyn sorry. chase one of them is jillian jansen you want to guess who the two porn stars i've met and performed comedy with are the same ones brooklyn chase and jillian jansen so my vision board is complete guys i am a sex magician now so you heard wait, it here is oprah a huckster or a visionary with the vision board and the, because uh, this is like, I'm not even trying, but that seems like a legitimate question because she seems like she's creating, a th like create a oh, thing yeah. and then you believe in the thing and then it happens and you get a car. There is this weird trend of people taking legitimate spiritual techniques and then becoming hucksters. Like, but like, for example. Like, like branding them their own a little bit. Rebranding them and there, it's this. It's weird, and it's well, it, there seems a secret to be, too, right? Yeah, the wasn't that a thing that they they ripped off a bunch of ideas from uh, some of the other occult ideas? Well, I believe the secret is from that. Seems to be that 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 whole technique of like positive thinking that seems to be a descendant of Neville Goddard's uh, ideas. Another Goddard in the story. I wasn't ready for yeah. that. Yeah, Neville Goddard was uh, kind of was sort of the. Um, 
the godfather of new thought, which is that kind of, you know, positive thinking manifestation type of thing. That's where the secret comes from in terms of lineage. Well, I like all this, man. This is, uh, yeah. cause we're getting interesting here because Crowley, um, he's kind of floating around the world still at this time. Uh, he's, uh, he never really stays in one place too, too long because people get nervous when he's hanging out. But mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of stuff going on here too, just in his personal life uh, for Jack Parsons around this time. His work on a thing known as jet propulsion, which is gonna be, eventually becomes extremely important. That's probably some of the patents that he still holds. Um, his jet propulsion ideas started to get noticed because he's got this cool little factory kind of play toy thing going on in his little uh, Caltech. It's almost like Ghostbusters where it's like Bill Murray fucking around it's with a bunch of It's the boring project, you know? <laughs> Well, he's got a, a fun project going on. You're right. But isn't uh, Elon Musk's thing, like all his side projects, the boring project is not his company? Am B I wrong? You're saying B-O-E-R-I-N-G, right? Not the tunnels underneath LA. The, <laughs> the, the flame shooter, isn't that the boring project? I could I, be I wrong think, about this. I think the, the, the tunnels under LA are the boring project. Well, that's the boring. Yeah, I might be wrong about this. We'll see. I mean, I'm going to okay. Google later. I mean, I got you guys both a flame flower for Christmas, so there's that. Hell yeah. That'll do, pig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once more, I shall say that before this night is through. <laughs> well, it's interesting, though, because uh, you know who's starting to notice this weird jet propulsion thing and all the other stuff? You guys are blowing up a lot of shit over here in your lab. Uh, the U.S. military is curious about this. Hey, uh, guys, there's this little weird dude uh, with a mustache over in uh, Germany right now. We're getting a little bit nervous about him. So how would you guys like to make a little bit of money, you know, on the side here? And, well, you know, you guys can't get drafted as long as you keep churning out cool projects for us to try to use this idea of rockets and jet propulsion into maybe being able to kill the Nazis. So what do you say, buddy? And Jack Parsons is like, oh, of course, we hate the Nazis because, you know, he's very left leaning, kind of a socialist kind of a dude. Um, so they thought it was like a moral obligation. And also it paid well. A little bit of uh, the New Jersey connection that you look for, the biggest chapters of the Nazi party in America were in Northwest New Jersey. Uh, a very weird uh, time for you to bring that up too, because the episode that I'm waiting on Kahuna to send me is uh, about Camp Siegfried, which I shit you not was a Nazi youth summer camp on Long Island that uh, used to have like up to 40,000 people attending like German day events where they would also be like, oh, and by the way, hail Hitler, right? It's, I mean, so, you can get a lot wow. of people anywhere if you got good pretzels, you know? Pretzels, beer, and German girls. It's not hard. I've searched German girls on the internet before. Um, but becoming a leader in this cult around the same time that he's now hitting his absolute like pinnacle of you know rocketry expertise if you will it's pretty wild he's got all this stuff going on here but there's also some uh there's other weird interesting things here we talked about sex magic a little bit earlier and the idea of this kind of open relationship thing that they're doing over at uh we'll call them a cult just for the mm -hmm. the ease of the, the the listeners here um one of the things that's completely allowed in this cult is open relationships so Jack's showing up there. He's a pretty good looking guy, right? He's kind of a brilliant dude. Mm -hmm. He's showing up. He's like, yeah, don't you love this, honey? Isn't this a great cult? You know, we can just fuck anybody we want. And his wife's like, I'm not really all about this. And his wife winds up leaving him. You know who sticks around, stays behind? Uh, his wife's sister, who Jack also starts banging. Her name is uh, Sarah. Okay, she's going to come into the story a little bit later on here, too. But mm. there's open relationships. Jack's banging anything. I've never known an honest Sarah. <laughs> mm. There's one that listens to this show. Um, but I'll say this. Uh, Parsons' work on the, the jet propulsion thing, it's weird that we're talking about the two sides of the same coin thing. So on the one side, you got the jet propulsion thing. On the other side, he's doing all sorts of drugs, hanging out, these like kind of sex party things or whatever. He'll, uh, he's getting very eccentric at this time frame. His house that he's going to have, because now he's making decent money on the government payroll, he buys a house that becomes known as the Parsonage. So do you know about the Parsonage? Or 
I know that it, he, you know, he he got moneyed up finally, so he bought himself <laughs> a nice place, and uh, apparently there was uh, quite a bit of um, sexual misconduct. <laughs> Not misconduct. Yeah, I guess it was all consent. It was just orgies. A lot of orgies going on over there. Also, he was known to uh, answer the door wearing nothing but like a, a python around his neck goodness yeah so imagine that it's a, it's a bit of marilyn manson vibe he definitely it. i think manson was probably influenced by this too Hell yeah. Um, so yeah you answer the door uh you know you bring the doorbell jack parsons he shows up he's wearing nothing but a snake and he's like oh come on in what do you what do you guys want to talk about here and the thing is he would greet the guests whether he would they were say like, oh you're not afraid of snakes are you <laughs> and then with a wink <laughs> well he's got a couple of weird things going on here too because he would greet the guests the same way based off whether or not it, he didn't really show any uh, um, regard for whether or not they were there for the scientific aspects of it. Like he's hanging out with his rocket buddies. There were literally members of the future Manhattan project. Okay. That, that builds the atomic bomb, you know, not real. Go ahead. <laughs> we'll talk about Oppenheimer another time, but uh, they bring uh, these scientists in to kind of hang out at the parsonage. And then also they'd be talking about like, Oh, there's a, uh, there's women walking around with like gaudy makeup on and kind of dressed in bohemian fashion with like their tits out and stuff. What, what's going on here? And someone just goes, oh, Jack's into lots of weird shit, you know? Anybody who thinks it's a good idea to have an orgy should just try cleaning up after a barbecue first. That's, <laughs> 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 it's like I try to tell you, man, uh, everybody wants a squirter until you're married to one and on your third sofa sitting out there in front of the house on heavy pickup day. You're like, oh, maybe it's not as great as I thought it'd be. Yeah. But so the Manhattan, the Manhattan Project people, like, was Oppenheimer in here? Do you, did Jack Parsons and Oppenheimer ever cross paths? That I don't know off the top of my head. That'd be mm. a great question for, I know, um, uh, Stu Greenberg is also a doctor, by the way. Uh, mm -hmm. Either him or Nick Franco, two of my most disciplined and uh, loyal listeners, yeah. uh, would might be able to find that out for me. Yeah, so I don't I, know if they cross paths. But. I just bring that up because Oppenheimer is another scientist who is contemporary with Parsons, who's into... The well, Gita well yeah, then, yeah. East, Eastern yeah. mysticism as opposed to um, yeah. so occult talking, magic. You're talking about like the idea that the atomic bomb has happened become once death, before. destroyer yeah. of worlds. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's if you look at some of these old. Um, Let's get that tattooed tonight. We can do it. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you got a place? We're getting I am death tattoos. <laughs> uh, Broadway tattoo, Perth Amboy. Let's, okay. uh, let's go. Fucking, hey, it's Perth Amboy, so you know it's good. It's actually uh, a mistranslation. He's, it's actually I am become time, the destroyer of worlds. Oh, really? Yeah. No shit. Yeah, huh. he's just trying to be all cool and emo. Like, ooh, <laughs> I've doomed the world to destruction with my brilliance. Oh, I, I'm, just so, I'm just so contrite. He was on that hot boy show. <laughs> so I wondered you know, if Jack Parsons showed up in the modern day. I, I said he'd be in Jackass. Maybe he'd be the lead singer of My Chemical Romance. We just don't know. But uh, this Parsonage house, fantastic place. Guests will include confessed witches and also, like I said, future Manhattan Project scientists. Uh, one of the interesting quotes I wanted to mention on here was uh, they were talking about Jack is almost going to break off the same way that Aleister Crowley breaks off from, uh, uh, you know, starts his own kind of a thing. Jack is... A curious guy where he's almost going to do anything as long as it gets a result right mm -hmm. so a quote about him was uh and this is written to alistair crowley uh, about jack parsons our own jack is enamored of witchcraft uh the humfort humfort h-o-u-m-f-o-r-t does that mean anything to you jack uh, say, say it again homefort humfort h-o-u-m-f-o-r-t uh, not offhand no so he's enamored with witchcraft and voodoo 
Uh, from the start, he always wanted to evoke something, no matter what it was. I am inclined to think so long as it got a result. He would summon banshees, spirits, demons, whatever rituals he could think of. Yeah. They start is... getting into this weird thing because th this was very amusing to me. The guy who's going to be uh, his bestest buddy in the whole wide world. Okay. Yeah, the, uh, the 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 <laughs> Zapsic to uh, Jack Parsons Ming Chen is <laughs> about to show up here, guys. Um, a dude's going to show up over at the Parsonage house uh, and he's going to be speaking a lot about uh, these weird kind of science fiction ideas and a lot mm. of the philosophies and everything. And this guy's name is L. Ron Hubbard. And for legal purposes, he's just an author. Right. right. And a boat entrepreneur. Yes. He had a boat company. He did. Uh, he starts that boat company in a very interesting way that ties yeah. in with this episode. Yeah. 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 Goodness What's me. the most disparaging term for occultism or magic with a K that like, um, like if you hear the term, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. Like I find that a bit derogatory or like maybe like tinfoil hat. I find derogatory. You're one of those tinfoil hat people. What's the uh, what's the derogatory term for people in the uh, occult community? Well, I could make the case that the word witch is actually that word and okay. always has been. Like, I don't think that I think witch originally was a word, uh, was a form of, was an accusatory word. Okay. Um, but in turn, like kind of modern parlance, I would say maybe like, I don't know, like woo woo is something I really don't like when people say, well, ah. but they, they, they don't call me woo woo. They just say the thing that I'm into is woo. I hate it. When, like okay. if you say woo, I'll, I'll leap across <laughs> the table. <laughs> what's, the, uh, what's the Australian word for white trash again? Um, ooh, bogan. Yeah. <laughs> bogan. yeah. That's straight up gold. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, there's, uh, there's a lot of fun things going on over this Parsonage house, too. So he's got the prostitutes hanging out. They're doing the sex cult thing. Um, it's going to attract some interesting people. Now, by the way, also, this I thought was worth noting as well. Uh, at the rocket testing sites for this jet propulsion stuff they're working on, they're shooting all sorts of crazy stuff up in there. They're blowing up, you know, shit left and right. Um, him and his buddy would uh, typically, like, he would bring a gun with him out on into the desert. And if they saw jackrabbits, they would just, just drop them. I don't know. Where, like, he loved shooting guns the whole time. So... He would also typically be high on a mixture of, if not limited to, uh, mescaline, heroin, uh, marijuana, cocaine, um, amphetamines, I think they were into. And then he was a, a, he would, I believe, drank quite a bit, too. So his health is going to kind of start to decline here because that's what takes out Crowley in the very end is that he was just such a, a terrible heroin addict that led to his downfall. Right. So yeah. I don't think it's what killed him, but I think it's what it definitely. Well, yeah. 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 Him. Yeah, no, he definitely, he got involved in a little bit of the sleepy drugs, you know? <laughs> um, there's also this thing with Crowley's eyes. That if you look at pictures of him, he's very intimidating to look at. But then there's a one picture. He was picture. actually on Klonopin? It's a <laughs> 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 yeah, Klonopin and uh, Topo Chico's. So. <laughs> but uh, no, there's that one picture of Crowley where he's got menacing eyes the same way Rasputin has menacing eyes. Yeah. Where if you're watching a documentary late at night and they start zooming in on Rasputin's eyes, you just get a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Let's just push pause. Do you not, you know, not about Rasputin's eyes, but do you know that Rasputin's genitalia is supposedly preserved and it, just because of its immensity? Big dick energy. Maybe yeah. that's really but what like it is. But like they apparently, like, um, <laughs> who's that in Russia, Lenin's body you can go and see? Uh, yes, Lenin's body is buried. Um, Who's the guy in the uh, glass tomb? That, that's Lennon, I believe. Oh, okay, so it's yeah. not. Yeah. So uh, Rasputin's uh, penis is uh, 
so historically remarkable that it is somewhere viewable somewhere. Uh, <laughs> but I thought you were going to, yeah. Ming just brought up a picture. It, it is yeah. Lennon I lying in state. I thought it was Rasputin's penis for a second, you know, yeah. but the facial hair is what gives it away. Actually, that is Rasputin's penis. <laughs> 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 it's just, look, it's Lennon does not look unlike Gigi Allen in the coffin either. <laughs> like, they're incredibly similar now that I'm seeing it. Oh, your kids love them both. Yeah. But. No, it's a it's a fun, weird thing to talk about too with that. But the I did not know about Rasputin's uh, penis being. Uh, I think I preserved. think the rumor is like over ten. Damn. Yeah, could have been a whole different career if he just made it to America. Um, for those who don't know, by the way, Rasputin, a uh, fascinating story about how he died. Um, they poisoned him. The poison then didn't work. They then shot him uh, several times, and then uh, he continued to live through that. I believe he was then stabbed and beaten, and then thrown through a window, and then fell into an icy river. Uh, his body then froze in the river um, and uh, people found his body, like some Siberian peasants kind of a thing, found his body, if you will. And they said, oh, shit, uh, this is Rasputin. We better give him an honorable burial. Otherwise, he'll come back with his own kind of witchcraft theme here in sticking with what we're talking about on the show today, that his own uh, uh, spiritualism might come back negatively upon us if we don't give him, you know, do the honorable thing here. So these then poor, you know, woodland people uh, out in the, the Russian Siberia area, if you will, they then build a, uh, a kind of like a Viking funeral thing for him. You know, mm. they build a funeral pile. Like, yeah, they're going to do um, like uh, Vader at uh, end of Return of the Jedi, right? Uh -huh. Well, they build this little, they just build a thing up there and they're going to burn him on this uh, in an honorable fashion. The problem is, is that the heat from the fire then starts to take his frozen body and uh, he begins to thaw out and some of his ligaments begin to shrink up and these people lose their fucking mind as Rasputin's dead body seems to sit up in the middle of the thing. So... <laughs> Yeah, imagine having a bad trip on that, man. Oof. <sighs> man, I just found my own dead body recently, so I can only imagine. <laughs> For legal purposes, this podcast is taking place in 2012. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting, again, to notice that good old Parsonage house here, hookers, drugs, sex, you know, some occultism beliefs, kind of some weird stuff here. Uh, and it's going to attract our boy, L. Ron Hubbard, is about to show up. So Elrond's popping in. He comes into play and uh, he's talking and Jack Parsons is smitten with him right away. Really, he is. He's blown away by him. He goes, finally, this guy's great. You know, meanwhile, other people in the, the occult, they're like, Parsons has kind of fallen for this guy. But this guy seems like he's full. Of, this guy has a used car salesman vibe to him. Let's also press pause. And just for a moment, because it seems like we've been talking about Jack Parsons for a little bit. But. He's only 33, 34 at this time, as far as at I most, know. At most, yeah. I believe, yeah. I think it's 37 or 38 that he winds yeah. up dying at. Yeah. yeah he yeah. died at 37. So, like, this, everything that we've said now happened in a very short amount of time. I'm 33 right now, too, just for, uh, so there's probably, I, I could be duped into some stuff, but I got a little bit of street smarts to me, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, That's why Wayne, I'm New here. Jersey. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> Good old Wayne, New Jersey, man. But, it's, uh, it's next to Garth, future. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going home. We got High Roller's Christmas gift. It was a maker's mark. All right. So I did good on that one. But it's uh, they're summoning these weird things here. Uh, and the guy that is going to kind of just take this up to the next level for Parsons is L. Ron Hubbard. He's like, oh, yeah, we could be summoning all sorts of cool shit around here, man. Mm. And he's kind of he takes advantage of Parsons. Uh, uh, you said naivete earlier. I'll borrow that term. The Parsons is such a true believer in this thing that uh, and he's all about like, oh, sometimes I summon a thing that works. Maybe I summon the devil when I was eight. I'm not quite sure. There was rumors that one time he uh, there was a 
screaming banshees up against the window or something like that that terrified some of the people in the house that they've like had PTSD about it the rest of their lives. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of weird ass stories that went on at this Parsonage house. Mm. But Hubbard's showing up, plays right into everything with Parsons, and uh, people actually have to write letters to Aleister Crowley saying, hey, uh, Parsons was clearly the most important guy here. He's actually the, the, the leader of the cult in California now at this time. And, uh, you know, Crowley was like, it was like my hand-picked uh, uh, successor, if you will, kind of a deal. This guy's going to be the thing that takes us up to the next level. Unfortunately, um, he's now falling under the uh, the guise, if you will, or the, the nonsense that's being uh, put in his ear by L. Ron Hubbard. And people are even saying, L. Ron's kind of a fraud here. Let's get rid of this guy. It's going to happen throughout his entire life. But... A uh, cool thing that I read about L. Ron Hubbard was they said that he had like uh, he also had those calming eyes like we were talking about where it was um, almost like he was a Western sheriff or something like he was had a stern demeanor like he demanded respect the way that he carried himself like a Russian judge stern but fair. <laughs> well, you know who's going to become enamored with him, L. Ron Hubbard, is uh, both Jack Parsons. He's going to be really into this guy too because they're like, oh, we can do all these cool weird sex magic things, which Jack mentioned earlier includes them jerking off onto tablets. Right, holy tablets and trying iPads. to suffer. Yeah, but it's pretty much this one yeah. right here. Okay. <laughs> I don't think they, they weren't doing specifically that, but they, there was. Yeah. Well, they wanted to summon a thing. Uh, there was a goddess they were trying to summon to Earth yeah. in the theory that a scarlet woman would appear that would then allow them to give birth to a moon child. Does any of that mean anything to you? Yeah, what they were, <laughs> but she was. Uh, yeah, I, 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 it was called the the Babylon working. There it is. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, that's what it. they were trying to do to. Uh, conjure or summon the scarlet woman and uh it's a bit unclear as to how exactly they would bring about the the offspring that would kind of usher in this new age part of it was an immaculate conception like that if you put the jizz on the uh the the, the tablet kind of, that's what i was reading uh earlier about that by jerking off onto the tablet or whatever that they would hope that that would be like an offering of some sort i think that they needed to summon like they needed to conjure an elemental which does uh, in Jack Parsons' mind, that does get fulfilled with Marjorie Cameron. True. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, but it's a, unclear. There's this contradictory kind of sources about whether they needed to impregnate this Scarlet Woman, and then that would be the child, or if it would be a symbolic child. Like it's it's, it's weird. That's and, why I had a hard time. Yeah. Right? That's why I was uh, in my mind. I was like, let me just write down notes and then let Jack run with this. Because, yeah. you know, but if you're telling me that there's no clear cut definition of it too, then that's almost even more interesting. Yeah, maybe there is, and I just am not smart enough. But uh, I, that's kind of as deep as I went. Yeah, that I, I I got the sense that it isn't super clear. Well, the guy uh, Elron is saying that he has. Uh, actually, there's a quote from Parsons about Elron saying that Elron possesses this. He definitely has been touched by a higher intelligence form yeah. that they thought he had a guardian angel, some sort of a, a spirit with him kind of a thing. Something just Whoa. occurred to me. Is his name L. Ron Hubbard or is L. Ron one word? L. Ron, it's like the Lord of the Rings. I thought it was the letter <laughs> L, then Ron Hubbard. Yeah, because I thought it was a... It's, um, actually, it's short for Lil Ron Hubbard. <laughs> Lil Ron Hubbard. Yeah. yeah, he was big on SoundCloud. Yeah, but he, just, <laughs> he just... He only spoke in rap. That's how brilliant he was. His L. Ron... L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah. There Lafayette. Is, oh, that's a good name. True Blood. Well, it's a... <laughs> you know? Rest yeah. in peace. Yeah. Um, I think it, it... Just something I want to point out about L. L. Ron Hubbard is that I do actually think he had certain capacities. Like, I think that, yes, he was charismatic, and yes, he was manipulative, 
Um, and yes, he was a liar. But I think that, like, well, I mean, I could just be a superstitious rube, but magic is real. And Jack Parsons was practicing real magic and did produce real effects with this magic. So, and there, this is hard for me to say, but Scientology does have some techniques in it that are valid. And yeah, I, I think the church is insanely corrupt. But uh, they, they, there That's is- how a lot of people feel about most religions too, yeah. which I think is interesting. Yeah. How long before we can cash in, being KP can cash in on what you do? That's the important question. And what I do? I yeah. yeah, we'll see. I'm waiting for the right moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, he, I suspect that Elrond- I didn't mean to leave you out of that, Ming. We're all gonna be demonically yeah. famous. <laughs> he definitely had some kind of power and pro was probably clairvoyant to some extent. You're saying um, for Elrond. Elrond, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And otherwise, these people wouldn't have listened to him. And I, and frankly, he wouldn't have got to the place he was. I'm not saying that Elrond necessarily deserved to get to the place he was. You heard it here, guys. Elrond, great guy, according to Jack Steiger. <laughs> I mean, there's probably some legitimate... There probably is some just like justification for the aura that he seems to have. Like it probably you said is real. something interesting to me one time too that uh, it's also about meeting famous people because you and I were in front of the Count Basie Theater when we were seeing Mark Maron. Oh yeah, and we we bumped into each other online there, and then Mark Maron popped out and was just looking up and down oh, the line. Online, yeah, <laughs> in a line, in a yeah. line. Yeah. I got you. Back in the day, right? Um, but yeah, so Mark Maron then pops outside a, a side door of the theaters, looking at everybody standing online about to come see him. And uh, it, it's like, it was weird because you have a facial recognition thing from a person you haven't met before because you've seen them on mm -hmm. television and whatnot. And uh, so it immediately clicks for you. And uh, Jack, in his classic, you know, poetic way, just goes, goes there is always some sort of a, a glow about them, isn't there? <laughs> like, so I wonder if that's what Elron had when he walks into a room because, hey, guys, Elron Hubbard's here. Elron Hubbard. Yeah. So yeah. I bumped crotches with Julian Casablancas of the Strokes. <laughs> and it was one of the most magical things that's ever happened to me. Wow. It's a, I, I want to know if there was some sort of a, a an, an energy exchange when that happened too, where he zapped your life force. From I think you. we both gained a little, lost a little. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, Elrond's showing up at the Parsonage house now, and I'm sure he was bumping crotches at some point with old Jack Parsons. They started off to be the best of buddies. Yeah. And then... That's how you have to say hello in these COVID times, too, it's by the way. Bumping crotches. No more handshakes. <laughs> it's um it's a weird thing. But uh the it, always it, it's a there's so many weird facets to this story, except for the one part where it's the one classic thing. What can come between these two guys here that are literally uh doing, you know, kind of sex cult type stuff, if you will. And Jack Parsons, by the way, firmly believes that this shit all worked, that bringing in the moon child or whatever and the idea of free love and all, mm -hmm. which you could argue when the 60s hit after his death, that is maybe the cult kind of had a uh, an idea of what was coming down the road. Can That's I precisely how I would see it. It isn't necessarily that they successfully ushered in the age, but it's that they were like the imagination is sort of our con our common surface with the spirit world so there may have been multiple there's probably only this particular babylon working at this moment in history but there may have been in other magical circles other things that other rituals that sort of rhymed with the babylon working it, it, it's okay. sort of the imminence of the age kind of disseminated through 
human minds. So, uh, yeah, but I just want, yeah. No, Parsons loved it. He thought it worked perfectly. It's one of the most things he was most proud of in his life. How big is the split in the community? Because it seems like there's a dichotomy created between the sexual exploration people and the abstinence people. And it doesn't seem like there's a lot of like, just have a regular amount of sex people in the, in the, um, you know what I mean? I don't think that there's a whole lot of like the abstinence crowd in magic because a lot, magic is kind of, it's whole, like kind of magic with a K is kind of about like, you know, especially nowadays, it's kind of like, it's, I don't want to use the term power, but it's about agency. It's about kind of improving your luck. A lot of people are in it for like um, practical reasons. You know, I mean, some people are in it for aesthetic reasons. The divide, I think, primarily in magic nowadays is like the people who are in it for, you know, the appearance of being ooh, I'm witchy. And then there's people who are in it for like, I want to use magic to achieve certain ends. That seems hmm. to be the main thing. I don't think that there's like a abstinence thing. The abstinence, the abstinence hedonism divide seems to be more of a magic religion divide that's the way i should have said it the yeah. abstinence hedonism divide <laughs> i do like it though that'll do pig that's that'll do. <laughs> three baby and that three. is the last time <laughs> goodbye <laughs> it would be great if at the end of this episode jack just disappears into nothing was, yeah. was he ever really here <laughs> but no, I mean, uh, these guys are hanging out. You'd think they'd be buddies. They're jerking off onto tablets together, you know, they're hanging out. They're trying to, you know, uh, attempting immaculate conception. You'd think there'd be a bonding effect there. The problem is, is that uh, there's a little bit of jealousy going on. And as like we said always, what to come down to? A girl. Hmm. So uh, Jack at this time is in an open relationship as he's allowed to be with almost anyone in this community, if you will, mm-hmm. um, which is, uh, I mean, there's been some hilarious, uh, I think it was uh, Borat did a great one. It was either Borat or Bruno. One of the Sasha Baron Cohen characters did a thing where he went to like a swingers party and he was just, he, nobody would fuck him. That was like, the, it was just him making it awkward for the people that were trying to hook up. But um, imagine the jealousy in an open relationship place because Sarah Northrup, okay, who is again, uh, Hel- Helena's sister. So Jack, Helena's first wife bails. She gets the fuck out of there. She's not into this whole free love thing. And Sarah, who is into this free love thing, and by the way, depending on what photo, you want to talk about good and flattering photos, there's a couple decent ones of her, and there's a couple really rough-looking ones of her where you're trying to figure out why these two guys are arguing over her. Hmm. But um, Jack's obsessed with her. He's fucking her on the regular. But then Elrond shows up, and Elrond, this woman is absolute. She's the first true Scientologist almost in this way because Hmm. she completely just falls head over heels for him. She's obsessed. the two of them are going to wind up eventually uh, starting the re- yeah, she helps write Dianetics with L. Ron Hubbard. Mm. So this woman who had Jack Parsons dick in her one time and then also L. Ron Hubbard's is uh, responsible for writing uh, Dianetics, which becomes the tenets of Scientology. So And mm. a Tenacious D song. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're getting to that here in a second. because We're going to land this plane shortly because I do. I did promise Ming I'd get him home before 11. But uh it's worth noting as well here that Crowley himself, Alistair Crowley, the most wicked man, refers to Sarah as a goddamn vampire. <laughs> okay, he got that. That's what shitty energy she was bringing around. He goes, "Oh, get him, get him away from that vampire." He's trying to save Jack Parsons now. Alistair Crowley is nervous when the guy who's known as the Beast and who literally is the guy who coined the term six six six, I believe, right? Um, I don't know if he coined it, but he definitely made part of his I don't think, mythos. I don't know if he coined it because six 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 goes back to you know. Theoretically, the Bible. Um, it's and actually originally in the Bible. It was six one six. Not to blow your mind, but yeah. it is. I do think that in like late some 
translations, it was 666. And then Crowley, I think, was per, uh, deriving that number from that, from the, trying to align himself with the beast from One the of book the of Revelation. Things- I've dated like three girls from Long Branch, so I know what he's talking about <laughs> when he says that this girl was evil. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the other thing, too, with 666 that I thought was worth mentioning is that I believe that was also the exhibit number of the thing in the museum in Egypt in Cairo. Horus. Yeah. That uh, was Horace, that that's what um, uh, Crowley's wife stopped him for and says, this is the thing that spoke to me in my dream about you. So Yeah. That gets yeah. a little bit tricky. That's, yeah. That Look is. up patent numbers with 666, and then you get real, real uh, deep. That's that shit. That's pretty deep. Bold. Yeah. yeah. I will break my rule. <laughs> that will do pig. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Crowley grows to hate Hubbard, starts blaming him for ruining and corrupting the mind of Parsons. Parsons, by, by this time also being investigated by the FBI uh, and was being squeezed out of Caltech and his other projects by his former partners and co-workers no longer enjoyed his kind of mad scientist vibe that he had going on. They used to do mock duels and shoot guns and just blow shit up. He actually blew up part of the, his own lab one time too. Um, and it got to the point where they're like, listen, we got enough of this jet propulsion. They go, we, we got his ideas. Let's kind of just, Hey Jack, why don't you spend some more time over at the parsonage? So if we said that he used um, rocketry, and all this other stuff and uh, the occult as two sides of the same coin, you've now taken away his ability to kind of at, at a high level participate in one of those. So he's going to go kind of all in on the crazy part of this occult thing here. That's when he's going into the, the nuts start. You know, I'm trying to bring about this, uh, the Babylon thing and all the other crazy stuff here. But the problem is he starts to get insanely jealous of Elrond because Elrond's banging his best girl. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. Yeah. Apparently. I, I mean, I read one letter by parsons where he kind of was just like wow betty that's what he called sarah was like well betty has transferred her sexual affections to ron I, there is no great loss because betty and i remain the best of friends this is literally uh. yeah betty and i remain the best of friends and ron is very magically potent, <laughs> uh, potent so indeed. that comes back to your cucked thing from yeah, earlier no, okay. yeah, he gets it, so ultimately cucked it's, it, it drives me insane like, I think this is that problem when like uh, beta males try to kind of uh, get into that alpha male territory where you uh, want to portray like you can handle anything but you really can like that yeah. jealousy aspect uh, oh that's interesting was, yeah in this letter, he was just like yeah no big deal it's whatever but apparently he was seething is what I read they call it ugly duckling in other situations, you know, where like you, uh, as you get older, you uh, get these different levels of um, appeal, and then it's harder to deal with the aspects of reality around that. I think. Oh, I get on that one too, because it's uh, a lot of it is the ability to show disinterest, you know. So nothing turns on a beautiful woman more than disinterest. But uh, yeah, when's that project coming out? Uh, another one I'm waiting on from Kahuna. If you're listening, Christian, get your shit together. <laughs> it's, um, but like I said, these guys, they're, the schism is in effect here, okay? Um, and he's getting squeezed out of Caltech. Uh, Hubbard, by the way, Elron, in the first of many douchebag moves, is going to say, well, uh, why don't we take some of your money that you made on this jet propulsion thing, and <clears throat> why don't you go and be a business partner with me? Let's start a boat business down in Florida, Hell baby, yeah, okay? Yeah. And, uh, That's the most Florida thing ever, by the way. <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm yeah. working on it. I'll be in Jacksonville in 48 hours. Yo, in like two weeks, KP is going to call us up and be like, I need $3,000. <laughs> I'm starting a boat company. Ming, a shared universe at sea. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they're, uh, he 
puts the the mark in, if you will, and he says, uh, Jack, why don't we do this thing, man? And Jack goes, all right, I'll give you $20,000. That's fine, man. Yeah, his uh, life savings. Yeah, I'll be a business partner with you. And, and don't worry, because Elrond's good for it. It's going to work out. I'll probably get back into rocketry here soon. And then, uh, oh, Sarah wants to go down there with him. Okay, uh, yeah, you should go. Yeah, yeah, help him out. And then he realizes, oh, shit, uh, Elrond bailed. Uh, I'm not getting my twenty thousand. He has to go to court to get any of that money back. Yeah, and we Sarah just never comes back into his life. Call him Lil Ron. Lil Ron. <laughs> <laughs> just for like the next five minutes. Lil Ronnie Hubbard. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Lil Ronnie goes ahead and steals your girl, takes twenty thousand dollars, takes your life savings, runs off and abandons your church, leaves you just looking like a total jerk off. And uh, now another woman's going to come into his life. You said earlier that yeah. his second wife, Parsons Marjorie is, Cameron. Parsons is uh, still. He's still got it. You know what I mean? Women are still kind of all about him. He's still weirdness centric and very fascinating. Marjorie Cameron comes in. Now, she was actually a good looking woman from some mm-hmm. of the pictures I saw. I yeah. believe she was also a Hollywood starlet. And one of the original members of this temple, if you will, that cult was actually the father of David Carradine, mm-hmm. uh, was a member of the cult when Parsons showed up. So Kung Fu has a, a lineage to this. Mm, you know, yeah. Kill Bill has a rumor that he was assassinated as opposed to autoerotic asphyxiation. Oh, it was yeah. just, he was trying to do sex magic. It's <laughs> Straight up. Sometimes it goes wrong. <laughs> as George Carlin said, uh, sometimes you just, uh, you just have to wait for the boner to go away and say he had bad grades. Huh. But the uh, involvement with the love and drug cult and his uh, suspected communist affiliation, even though Parsons, as you said, Jack, never joins the American Communist Party, uh-huh. will eventually cost him his security clearance. And Parsons is left to his own devices in his lab, his own little personal at-home lab. That's it. That's all he's got now. Side note, he would wind up working for Hollywood and he would make uh, – he helped develop squibs. So when you see a movie and someone gets shot in the chest and a blood you know, thing pops out, yeah. Parsons was part of the project that helped kind of reinvent those things. So uh, – he lost his girl, but now he's got this other girl coming into the picture here. And uh, what do you know about her off the top of your head, Jack? Um, Cause she's also very spiritual. Yeah, I, she wasn't um, involved in any magical tradition before Jack Parsons, as far as I'm aware. But she, um, she and uh, it took her, I don't think she, apparently she, well, like she came in as a, in Jack Parsons' mind, she was the Scarlet Woman. That was the result oh, of their Babylon working. See, I didn't put that together. That's cool. Yeah, no, like that, that. Jack Parsons thought that that was the case. And um, Crowley didn't – because Parsons wrote Crowley about this, and Crowley was like, I, I don't think you did that. <laughs> he, he was also against this whole thing happening. He goes, I don't like the idea that you guys are trying to summon a moon child thing. No, there There's may a little have, Rosemary's baby to it. Yeah, there may have been an element of Crowley being like, well, you can't do it. I have to do it. <laughs> but um, it seems like from what I could read from Crowley, it's, I think Crowley I think Crowley was actually just concerned for Parsons. I think Crowley actually just thought that he was being a bit of a fool. There may have been some – I don't think Crowley the most was – wicked man alive, yeah. the beast himself. He goes, come on, yeah. man, get your shit together. Jack. I don't think Crowley necessarily – I don't think Crowley was motivated by jealousy and kind of um, – in in discouraging Parsons from pursuing this. He actually kind of was like warning him against, he actually does call him out for his sensitivity. Like he, and he says, you shouldn't, he like says something to the effect of like, uh, uh, be, beware of your feelings about this and, um, you know, just keep on your guard because you've been manipulated before, you know? Crowley so, seems to be watching out for Parsons. When it comes to this chick Marjorie, you said she was spiritual, right? 
she would claim to be connected and, and kind of was a true believer in what Jack Parsons was. Which uh, makes me want to quote uh, Daniel Tosh. And he said, when a girl comes up to me and says, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. And he says, that's interesting because I'm not honest, but you're deep. <laughs> <laughs> It's a uh, it's a weird thing. There's always the people that assume uh, you know your astrological sign has a lot to do with how your personality is and stuff like that. This is oh, just yeah. when your parents got bored enough to have sex. <laughs> your astrological sign actually does have a lot, but whatever. <laughs> I'll tell you, we could talk about that one on a, a, another. That would be an entire fun another episode too. We bring my cousin Pam in here. Out. Come crazy. on, <laughs> Let's get it all out. Let's exercise yeah. our demons. If you're not getting home at eleven. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're gonna be landing this plane shortly, Ming. I promise you. No, um, we must ride this out. The yeah. Babylon working must be complete. <laughs> yeah, if we're gonna turn Ming into the Scarlet Woman here, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh boy. After we're a... done with them, he'll be a Scarlet Woman. <laughs> Jesus, check. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I taught I... him nothing. Um, <laughs> we have to cover this one wild thing here. That this is what's going to happen now. Jack is going to be working on. Uh, Can we all sing Mr. Crowley real quick? <laughs> she drew a lot of like weird paintings. Parsons or Crowley? Uh, Marjorie Cameron. Oh, okay. Keep going. Yeah, she actually. There's a very. Uh, when Ming comes back, we, she, she did a portrait. Of this is Jack Parsons. This becomes a beatnik thing, right? A the, beatnik. The uh, the beatniks in the fifties become becomes part of a big thing for um, almost Andy Warholish type art that it, it's influenced off of her thing. I, I read that earlier today. I'm not sure about that. Maybe, but uh, there is a she has a very distinctive style, and you, she actually did a painting of Parsons as the Angel of Death. Yeah. Whoa! Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's quite. Uh... Ming, I'm so sorry to ask this. If you could possibly bring something up for us on the the good old internet. Yeah. It's a uh, so it's Marjorie Cameron. Yeah, Marjorie Cameron's Marjorie portrait Cam of Jack Parsons. Portrait of Jack Parsons. This is going to be terrifying to look at. And by the way, also Marjorie Cameron and um, Jack Parsons both show up as uh, people on. Um, you can see her there. She's got her bitch face on. Yeah, but, right mm. on, the, on the you see on the on the right on the second row on the right. Whoa, Jack Parsons is the angel of death. Yeah. Wow. So. That's almost as creepy as a Podesta Brothers painting. <laughs> I actually briefly dated a girl very soon. Into the microphone, damn it, Steiger. Yeah. <laughs> Guy has his own podcast, man. You'd think he'd know. Yeah. The Steiger I didn't say it was a show, by the yeah, way. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I did want to mention, I too, Jack Parsons has... Um, yeah, by the way. <laughs> and the outro. Jack Parsons and uh, Marjorie are both uh, listed on the Twin Peaks Wikipedia. So that goes into the David Lynch thing. He explores a lot of these weird concepts and ideas about um, the idea being, too, originally. Parsons got pretty fascinating. There's the idea that uh, aliens can be coming from uh, space, right? That that's where a lot of people think UFOs and stuff are going to come from. Mm -hmm. Then Parsons gets super into the idea that maybe they're just coming from different dimensions, that they're, they're all here in front of us. We just can't see them. Of course, that's how it is. So it's come on. <laughs> you don't necessarily have to go to space to find them, but that's the idea of... Uh, Quantum physics is actually how he was explaining a lot of the stuff that Crowley was teaching, which I thought was interesting. Quantum I, entanglement. Come on. Say yeah. what? Yeah, exactly. I think going, hang on. I, I, I want to get to Jack in a second, but Andy, wrap that one everything's up. Everything's connected. Like, everything's connected. This thought here has a, like, it's um butterfly effect. Like, that's a layman's explanation of the theory that everything is connected exponentially. Yeah. The butterfly effect has proven that Ashton Kutcher could also be Steve Jobs. <sighs> You know, Aston Kutcher, man. Deep state. That 70s show. <laughs> yeah. But that is true. That is something that, and I did, 
in researching for this episode, there is something going on that it is all connected. And it does have to do with like, there is some, these scientists and engineers who were involved in the space race and the arms race for they the- They all new, knew each other? Yeah. There's, there's some kind of, there's these ideas that come through them and they're, and they're dabbling in weird forms of spirituality. There seems to be some part of the spirit world or some some class of spirits it's hard to say but there's an there seems to be some kind of motive to influence us to go into the stars but also arm ourselves enough to destroy ourselves like it's weird it's and i i uh i don't know what's going on and so jack parsons talking about aliens that exist in other dimensions like i have no problem with that like i would perhaps substitute the word alien with spirit because um uh, like the I substitute idea. alien with intelligence. Oh, uh, yeah? I think so, right? Yeah. I mean, that's... That's it's an interesting way to break it down. Yeah. yeah. So your alien has such a weird connotation in a modern uh, society, too, because everybody just sits there and like, oh, it's uh, aliens. Yeah, Sigourney Weaver. I know yeah. this shit. It's, but yeah. it's just, it just depends on your the lens with which you're looking at it. Exactly. Yeah. Like... Um, you're, you're talking about this, you know, talking about interdimensional aliens, but to me, that's a, that's spirits. They're entities that exist in a kind of plane that is kind of overlapping ours, but not, um, but not readily apparent, you know? Mm. And, uh, but yeah. Then we have terms like ghost and all this stuff, which we kind of all have like a definition for, but then when we actually have to like say like, Oh, what do you think about it? People kind of balk at making a decision, you know. Mm. Um, we've all had experiences that we can't explain. We've all like been driving up the parkway and made weird eye contact at the exact same moment with that guy, you know, driving a Honda Civic, and then looked back and be like, "Oh, that was weird," <laughs> you know. <laughs> like, there's something else to what we're going through, and I think Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard and Alistair Crowley are all trying to tap into that to some extent. Yeah. And I don't think oh, I can blame them. No, again, why would it not be fascinating to a guy who clearly has a mind for it and then also grew up reading some of that's why I was asking you guys what you read as yeah. kids because you know you guys are fun to have these weird conversations, but I can't have these conversations with every comic that we know because some of the guys are just like, yeah, I'm here for the pussy. You know? Yeah, yeah not, most comics, you know. It yeah. is what it is on oh, those yeah. things, man. Yeah. The um yeah, I, I do want to say this real quickly. I gotta uh We should make a podcast that's just purely about hating. We should just <laughs> that would be fun. We'll do that one day. <laughs> just the haters ball. Well unfortunately, uh on June seventeenth, nineteen fifty two, a huge explosion will rip through his home laboratory because Jack Parsons, um, he was actually working a night shift as a gas station attendant. That's how bad shit had gotten for him money wise. And uh one of his other jobs was coming, he'd get consulting work and rocketry every now and then. And uh, obviously, you know, it's 1952. He doesn't quite get to live to see, uh, you know, the, the space race, if you will. Um, but he does know that they're moving on forward without him. And it kind of breaks his heart a little bit. You get the vibe that uh, he's a little down and out here. Um, he winds up getting uh, occasional gigs in Hollywood. Because remember, he's in Pasadena, California. It's not hard to work in Hollywood at that point. And he's making uh, explosions for sets, like prop explosions. So he's still doing the same shit he was doing as a little kid here. And uh, he's also renting out the rooms of his house. Uh, the parsonage, I believe, gets demolished. Um, but he's renting out the rooms of his house. And uh, he's got tenants in there. And uh, they see him making the bombs on the front step or something like that. And they go, oh, well, be careful with that. Otherwise, you'll blow us all up, right? And Jack Parsons is like, oh, you know, don't worry. Everything's going to be just fine. Yeah. But on June 17th, 1952, a huge explosion rips through his home laboratory. 
The police that wind up arriving on the scene find that Parsons is still alive, although half his face has been ripped off, exposing the skull underneath. Um, he, the guy had a mind to him. Now you can see it out in front of you. Uh, his right arm's missing him. And surrounding him are rocketry papers, uh, pentagrams, occult drawings, and uh, chemical formulas. This is how I feel like I'm going to find you one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jack Steiger was found in his home with a, a yeah. lockbox full of secrets. Yeah. But he, uh, he he's living at the time that the cops find him. He dies shortly thereafter at just 37 years old. Uh, interesting note. Guess who shows up and seizes all the paperwork almost immediately? Ooh. Uh, hmm. J. Edgar Hoover's boys of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Yep. He'd been under investigation by them for quite a while. He actually had to testify in front of the House of Un-American Activities, which a lot of people confuse with McCarthy. McCarthy wasn't a part of that. It was a separate thing. Um, but uh, McCarthyism definitely had people investigating anybody with any sort of communist idea. So Jack Parsons out there doing like the, the free love thing and the rocketry thing. And he's also like, oh, I can go work with Israel a little bit. Right. You know, I'm just going to do he like he was trying to be a model citizen because he just didn't understand that the government was like, listen, it's about we don't want you guys to discover all this shit. We want you to discover the shit for us. That's it. All right. You're not going to go work with Russia on a cool project or anything. There's actually a weird conspiracy theory that. um what led to JFK getting assassinated was the idea that he wanted to have a, uh, a project with Russia where they're going to try to do like an international space station thing way, way ahead of time. OK, yeah. so knowing what we know now that NASA was essentially founded by a Satanist, a Scientologist and a Nazi. Correct. OK. When conspiracy theories about NASA or the moon landing or perhaps the shape of the Earth come up... <laughs> Are you really still in the mode of like, that's completely erroneous? Like, I don't think it's, I think, I'm going to say it, like, it, there's some things that seem suspect, you know? It was like NASA. Oh, you mean like the humanita the, the highest aspects of humanitarianism? Like, no, the, the, the Nazi Satanist. To uh, quote my good friend Chris Buck, uh, who I'll be living with in Florida for the next two months, great stand-up comic, he goes, uh, Personally, I'm not a big fan of NASA. Uh, I watched him kill a teacher once. Oh, all those people are still alive. You can look that up, too. <laughs> Jesus, Andy. <laughs> look it up. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, my father missed out on a good one here on this one. Yeah. I, I do want to reiterate, too, a uh, crater on the moon, because I'm going to throw to both of you guys here for closing thoughts here as we're wrapping up. But uh, a crater on the moon is named after Jack Parsons. A TV show uh, was attempted to be made about his life. I think it was called Strange Angel or something. Mm -hmm. It was going to be on CBS. And I it admired, was on CBS. Well, I admire them for even trying to tell that story. But isn't CBS the worst possible channel to tell a story about a drug addicted guy in a sex cult? That's a good point. Give me CBS. Fucking, uh, CBS. Uh, okay. Yeah. The Can Learning you, Channel has obese people talking, like you know, <laughs> my eight hundred pound life. So like TV on is HBO, not a good man. If you're gonna have a Jack Parsons show, I want it on HBO. I want to be able to time, see these yeah. titties you're with you know, me. bouncing yeah. around and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the guy uh, uh, winds up exploding. You know, Jack uh, gave it away in a, uh, a social media post. It was very funny. He goes, uh, we're going to talk about Jack Parsons, another American loser. Uh, hint, he exploded. Yeah, <laughs> he did. And I don't – did we touch on the idea that he may have – like the conspiratorial angle on it? Because well, there was uh, – there, there's people who still think that it wasn't quite an accident kind yeah. of a thing. And, uh, again, I'll, I'll say this one just in closing and then I'll throw to you for that. Um Parsons breakthroughs, despite any feelings you may have on the occult or any of the crazy stuff here today, 
His breakthroughs in rocketry are completely undeniable, even if he was viewed by some as a legitimate antichrist. Um, I think there's a documentary about him that, by the way, you can't watch in this country. I thought that was interesting to know. Mm -hmm. Amazon Prime will not let you watch a documentary on Jack Parsons called Jack Parsons Jet Propelled Antichrist, which Mm. what a great name for an album that would be. Um, But there is a little bit of a conspiracy theory on to was it really an accident? You know, this is a guy who was building explosives his entire life. Why would a little Hollywood thing be what kind of ended his uh, career, if you will, Jack? But do you know more about that or? It's hard to say. I mean, like, I know that he was actually going to leave the country perhaps, I think, the day after the explosion occurred. So the timing is just too too weird. The fact that it he was, was like, going to work with Israel. I knew that much. That was a thing. I think he was going. He was first going to Mexico and then I think he was going to Israel. And um, it was the beginning of the Cold War. Like, mm-hmm. these people murked a lot of people and uh, continue to do so. But uh, it's... It's just too rich. Like, I, I don't, it, it's, he had, he was privy to certain secrets and, or he was a valuable asset. And they didn't want it. They didn't want his talents to go elsewhere. You know? It oh, was totally understandable. And like, it's just the timing for me. But um, the corporate version of that would be uh, creating a controversy where we would make somebody unhirable so that they couldn't go to a rival company, you know, corporation or something. Yeah, but I don't. Um, or you could straight up murk him, like you said. Yeah. I mean, man, like, I'll play both sides of the fence here, but that level of madness also kind of perpetuates experiment, experimenting to finality. You know what I mean? Like, if you have that mind that can envision things, it's never going to stop. It's never going to stop envisioning things to the point where it might be detrimental or fatal, I think. Also, could uh, his skill set have declined because of years of uh, constant drug use? I mean, he was on something. Yeah, almost years little... of constant drug use only makes you cooler. <laughs> <laughs> he had a little Hunter S. Thompson to him where you wonder uh, if he had uh, lived through that explosion, would he have ended his life at another time? Because, yeah, when you realize you can't be Jack Parsons anymore. But he was a fascinating. Yeah. And by the way, I, I will do a more scholarly effort on this one. But I did want to bring the two of you guys in here for this because you're probably two of my good buddies. Are you very saying fun we weren't to. scholarly? Uh, I mean, so we didn't make any Avril Lavigne references yet, but there's time. Um, no, you guys are uh, solid on that one, too. But it was also I wanted to do a little bit of a conversational fun one here, which uh, I had a good fucking time. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the fabulous uh, Ming Chen back there. I do appreciate you and your time here today, my friend. Thank you very much. Um Jack, any uh, Jack and Andy, guys, think anything else you guys want to wrap up on here? As we're about to send this bad boy home. Um, yes, sorry, but (laughs) (laughs) uh, just uh, real quick, I wanted to uh, in my research for this, I kind of, um, I kind of see the outlines of something. I kind of got impressions of it and intuitions about some. Not necessarily conspiracy, but there's something that kind of connects like Parsons to Crowley and that whole lineage going back to John Dee and even for, probably to Egypt and um, and Lovecraft, frankly. And I, I, I kind of talked about this in the last episode with like Lovecraft was kind of – there's weird similarities in the stuff. Like Lovecraft and Crowley never seem to have met. And Crowley and Lovecraft had nothing but derision for magic. He saw it as just <laughs> stupid superstition. But he was writing his works around the same time that, like, there are dates that appear in Lovecraft's work that, um, like, one of the in the Call of Cthulhu, there's like a date that, like, April thirtieth or something, which was the same. And and there's some weird name similarities that appear in Crowley's work, like 
um, and Crowley was writing. It, it, there's just some weird shit that's going on. It seems, and there, frankly, there could be some kind of conspiracy. Like you know how there's MK Ultra, did a whole episode on. Yeah, it. like I think that there may have been an MK. Like there was as much as MK Ultra seems to have been about like brainwashing and psychedelics. Like I think that there was a, a an American military version of MK Ultra, but it was about magic or something along those lines. And that's kind of what I, I see. I probably will do something on my own podcast about it, just like a deep dive on it. You're talking about like a uh, men who stare at goats director's cut. Yeah, I, th- I think something like that was going on. And whether, I don't know, there's, and as I mentioned a few times on this episode, there's like some kind of motive from the spirit world that seems to want us in space, but also to arm us to the teeth with nuclear weapons. Like I, th- I sh- feel, I'm getting a sense of this. Yeah. Part of that's like looking at the ocean too, and there's something that pulls you to just drown yourself in it. You guys don't have that. That's just me. <laughs> oh, well, sorry guys. You never yeah. thought about just going off the edge of a the USS Carney, guided missile destroyer yeah. sixty four, out in the middle of the ocean, just realizing yeah. how peaceful it would be as you cascaded towards the bottom. But I'll do some kind My of bit, yeah. What, what was that movie where the guy grabs the cannonball and then jumps off the side? Uh, Master and Commander, Far Side of the World. Oh, beautiful scene. <laughs> I'm with you. No, yeah. I mean like. I think that there's a reasonable argument to be made um, that nuclear bombs aren't real, that the earth is flat, that we never went to the moon, that aliens are here now among us, that certain people are lizards, other people are not. Earth is hollow. The moon is hollow. This is not the episode that we can have people mentioning to their teacher. I've been listening to a very fun history podcast. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, so that's, you know, and like I said. You know, NASA was founded by a Nazi, a cultist, and a Satanist. And so. by the way, majority of some of the crazy conspiracy theory stuff that we found, because I get it. Like a lot of people are like, yo, what the lizard people live, you know, underneath Antarctica or something. There's a lot of people that roll their eyes and stuff like that. And then all you got to do is casually just be like, oh, do you guys know about Operation Paperclip? Did you know about this thing here? Did you know about Werner Von Braun? Did you just mentioned these, ca- you know, about Gus Grissom? You know, not, not that it's really yeah. a conspiracy theory, but this is all like failed early stuff with NASA. Did you, yeah. did you know about Jack Parsons? Because I remember when I was just casually researching Werner Von Braun, Jack Parsons comes up. I scroll over it. I see a picture of this, you know, enigmatic looking guy with a, a crazy mustache. And they're talking about him being a member of the occult. And then I text Steiger maybe two minutes later. I was like, hey, buddy, you want to come in for this one? And it took us about six months to get it done. But we did it. Yeah. But yeah. like literally most countries in the world have the history of how their country invented the telephone or any like any other thing. Like it's all pretty much just perpetuated by word of mouth. Like, the you know. You think if you go to Russia, there isn't a substantial amount of people that think that they got to the moon first? Because I do. You know, I, I think this is all pretty much just like word Yuri of mouth. Gagarin, um, technically the first man in space, the first cosmonaut. Um, he was a, a in the, the Soviets first put the guy up there. It was nuts. Um, the space thing gets really trippy, too, because a part of it is also um, you're seeing some of that fake news thing. You know what I mean? Where we're going to cover certain things. Did uh, the, the you know moon landing footage, was it true that they said, because I've heard a conspiracy theory that it was, um, we did land on the moon, but then we then had to uh, fake the footage because the footage the was destroyed. The radiation yeah. belts destroyed the film. <laughs> yeah. And that call was Nixon, right? Nixon on a telephone calling the astronauts. That's been determined as fake. So, well, you know, whatever. Well, believe what you want to believe. Yeah. It's very fun. to. It, it, I'll tell you what. 
the stuff that is openly available on Wikipedia would blow most people's minds if they just went on a couple of deep wormhole dives. That's all you got to do to make these things yeah. interesting. Because yeah. uh, I remember with MK Ultra when we were doing that episode, my father just goes, "Oh shit, we better get a tinfoil hat." Like you don't, you wouldn't think this, all right? You wouldn't think this, but we talked about it. Uh, I'll ask Ming this one final question here as we're wrapping up. Ming, are bananas racist? I, I don't think so. How, how are they racist? Okay. Would you like a Dole banana or would you like a Chiquita banana? Okay. Now. <laughs> Chiquita banana is the now modern name of what was the United Fruit Company that helped overthrow the Guatemalan government right. uh, under the Eisenhower administration. We forcefully removed the, their democratically elected leader and installed somebody. This was under Eisenhower. Uh, the Guatemalan Civil War erupted after that. That's because the United Fruit Company. Guess who the United Fruit Company hired in order to create a propaganda campaign? Edward Bernays. Bernays. And then it later got taken over by Dana White. <laughs> UFC. <laughs> so. Now, so wow. Chiquita Banana, racist, right? Yes. We overthrew a, a right. country. So you're going to go with Dole then? I guess I'll go with Dole, yeah. The Dole Conspiracy or the Dole Committee of Safety. Uh, literally, the guy's last name was Dole. They're the ones that overthrew the Kingdom of Hawaii for no reason. They just said, hey. Uh, Queen Yukalani. Uh, Queen Lili Yukalani and her entire Hawaiian yeah. kingdom were pretty much taken over by the Committee of Safety, who then kept fabricating letters saying, oh, the Hawaiians are in an uprising. It's not safe here for Americans. You guys better send the troops to protect us. Yeah. Come protect the businessmen who are now going to sit there. And the Dole Fruit Company then comes in. And again, that's pineapples, bananas. This is all, yeah. wow. you're racist, all right? So if you're eating fruit at home right now, you are complicit in murder. Yeah. My whole family comes from Molokai, which was a leper colony in Hawaii. <laughs> I will say this and wrap it up. I, uh, I love both of you. I hope to see you guys here soon. Jack, um, if for some reason uh, you get acquitted and are not uh, sent back to Australia, hmm. I would love to see you again, buddy. All right. If I don't see you again, just keep in touch, man. All right. Uh, yeah. You're a very funny guy. You're funnier than a lot of the other comics that we know. So I don't want you to give it up. Thank you're you. Definitely, definitely an interesting person. Stand up is over. So I just want to point out that I was ahead before it all went down. It's very strange <laughs> that uh, when I my career was taking, quote, off in Jacksonville, um, I moved up to New Jersey again, moved back home to Jersey to then hit the New York scene when I've had a lot of successes with it. And it's 2020 is so inverted that I'm now going back to Florida for stage time. Yeah. So that's a backwards one right there. It was there. weird that your farewell to Jack sounded like a lot of subtle brags about yourself. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it was, quote, taking off. I'll put it that way. Okay. But no, it's, uh, I, I'm heading back down to Florida. We're still going to be doing the episodes on the regular here. And I want to say thank you to my good buddy, Andy Highroller. Mm -hmm. I, and you know I love you, buddy. All right, Merry Christmas. Um, enjoy the rest of that Maker's Mark mm. safely in the parking lot. Um, <laughs> and Ming, thank you for everything, dude. You showed me how to do a bunch of this shit here, so we're going to be able to keep these bad boys going. We'll be on StreamYard, so uh, my father will still be on the show. While he's in South Florida, I'll be in North Florida, and you and the Cahoon will be wherever you guys are at. But thank you for everything, man. Thank you for your patience here today, too. Thank you to all the listeners. Guys, I knew this was definitely going to be a weird episode, uh, not going to be our normal uh, over-the-top uh uh, fact by fact by fact by fact by fact kind of a thing. I want this to be more free rolling here. I wanted to have a good conversation. These are two fun guys I like hanging out with too. Uh, and the topic was nuts. And it wouldn't have made sense if we tried to present this logically because the story doesn't make any fucking sense. No. But it meant a lot to have you guys on here for this one. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh, my name was KP Burke and that was Jack Parsons, American Loser. An American Loser the day I was born American loser the day I was born An American
can't lose her the day I was born. <laughs>